Well, hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is March the 2nd, 2022. This is episode 3044 of the Survival Podcast. And I'm bringing one of my favorite people on the air with me today. I haven't talked to him on air for a long time, but we talk back and forth here and there uh, over the years. We've crossed paths most times. His name is Justin Rhodes. Uh, Justin first came on the show, I think we figured it out during this interview, eight years ago when he was kind of entering this space and really making his mark with chickens. He's done so much since then. He has a new book out called The Rooted Life. You can learn more about that at therootedlife.com. I'll have him on in just a minute. We're going to talk about a, a, just a tremendous diversity of homesteading topics and entrepreneurial topics today. Uh, the show is officially called Justin Rhodes and the Hard Truth About Homesteading. We do talk about that, but we talk about so much more. This is one of the best permaculture discussions I have had ever in almost 14 years of doing the Survival Podcast, uh, permaculture homesteading discussions in total. It's it's that good. I think you'll really enjoy it. We didn't plan on going two hours. We just did, and Justin was gracious enough to stay around that long and do it with us. Before we get into that, which was done by a live feed, and we'll bring it on in just a minute, let's go ahead and remind you about our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today is ButcherBox.com. We're going to talk today about raising your own beef a little bit and talk about buying locally if you can. But what if you don't have those options? What if you could have great grass-fed beef and pastured poultry sent right to your front door until you get somewhere where you can buy direct or raise your own? You can. You can do it at ButcherBox. And there is food security with ButcherBox. We're going to talk a little bit about the impact of COVID-19 today and how that led to a boom in homesteading, a boom for my business, Justin's business, etc., but how it put a real strain on the food supply. But I'm going to tell you right now, you guys that were already customers of ButcherBox, you were able to add more to your boxes. You were able to get all the meat that you wanted. They stopped taking customers during a shortage to serve their existing ones. They really care. They have continued to be a great uh, sponsor of the show, great quality stuff. And guys, they're the only sponsor I have that pays me in product. That's right. I get a box of meat every month from ButcherBox to pay for their sponsorship slot, uh, slot on TSPC. Next up today, Backwoods Home Magazine. You know, we have a question in here, and we talk about books that you can use to learn more about homesteading. Probably the best periodical information source available out there is Backwoods Home Magazine. I've been a reader and subscriber of Backwoods Home Magazine since 1993. Boy, that makes me sound old. But I'll tell you what, when you remain a customer of a periodical for that long, it means they're doing something right. You can learn more at backwoodshome.com. Uh, with that, before I bring Justin on, just want to remind you that I am running a sale on Member Support Brigade right now. The discount code is Mexico. 22, that's M-E-X-I-C-O 2-2, the number's 2-2. Uh, all lowercase, you can get MSP for 35 bucks a year. You'll get a bunch of discounts. You help support the show. It's how I pay the bills. If you like the show, you like what we do, you know, I'll put it to you this way. There's a bunch of great discounts. That's wonderful, and I always try to do things that way. But it's also value for value. If there's ever been one episode in, in, in a year period, and you're like, hey, that episode's worth 35 bucks. That one episode is. Consider becoming a member at this rate, and then everything else is gravy. With that, let's go ahead and drop on into the live stream with uh, my good friend, Justin Rhodes. And we are live, folks, and it is my good fortune today to have Justin Rhodes with us as a guest on the Survival Podcast. 
for episode, I think it's 3043. And uh, it's been a long time since you've been on, man. You were on the show <laughs> years ago. We, we, we both were at uh, Permaculture Voices together, I think a couple of times, if at least not once. We kind of go way back. I've been watching you progress online forever, it seems like at this point. Yeah. And you, you've really built uh, a really great following and a lot of great informational material. You've got a new book out now. I have it right here, The Rooted Life. Thanks for sending me a copy, though there wasn't a signature in it. Come on, man. We'll, <laughs> well to see each other that. sometime and rectify okay. that. But I know you well, but not everybody in my audience might. So let's start off with who is Justin Rhodes? Well, I'm a sustenance homesteader in the mountains of western North Carolina, working together with my family to grow our own food. And really just so excited about that. That's my passion. Just to complete my joy, I just share what we're doing with others. And, and that ends up being probably the most, well, the most popular is our, is our YouTube channel, Justin Rhodes. And then I have, I have my own streaming network now, Abundance Plus. And so those are probably the two biggest ways that people know. And now hopefully, hopefully the book, uh, people will find us that way, but just exploring these different mediums, just getting, getting the word out, just really something we're excited about and just wanting to share. So you talk about this at the very beginning of your book, but could you share with people a little bit about what made you do this in the first place? Go from kind of everyday person buying food at the store to I want to produce a yeah. significant amount of our own food. Dude, I was like everybody else, man. Just screw up. I, sure. I was, I was, I had a house, we had a house in the country, but we did everything in town. And that was our trajectory. We were just going to be normal people like everybody else. And then my wife, she picked up on this article or something about uh, the dangers of conventional milk, you know, the, the hormones in it. I don't know if it was at the time, the GMOs or whatever. It was something like that. And we had, she came and we had to switch. We've, we've got to go to organic milk. And that's a lot of when people go to this health route, you can see where I'm going with this. I'm going on a health route. Uh, they switch it milk. It starts at milk, right? You know, you have the horizon milk. It's very popular. So we get to this organic milk, but then, Oh, well, when we run out of pepper or, or ketchup, we, we started replacing it with organic and I'm freaking out because I'm, I'm cheap wide Justin. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, when you start, Jack, you know, this, if you start shopping on the outskirts of the grocery store where it's like whole foods, like meat and fruits and vegetables, it's way more expensive than what's in the, the processed stuff in the middle, the mac and cheeses and stuff. And I'm freaking out, you know, our income hasn't changed. So we are literally checking out of the grocery store, checking out bundles of kales, lettuce, things like that. Three bucks, three bucks for a bunch of, a, a, a head of lettuce, let's say. Well, I happen to look over and I see a seed pack and I see, I, I see seed pack rack and I think, hmm. And I go over there and just out of curiosity, I look, they're priced about $3. But I noticed there's a hundred seeds in these things. And I didn't need to know much to know one lettuce seed is probably going to give me one lettuce head. And I <laughs> was realizing, wait, this is a hundred X the, the price. All I've got to do is put in the labor. I was like, wait, why are these seed stores even for sale in the grocery store? Isn't that counterintuitive? And why isn't everybody flocking there? So I, I, I don't know if it was that day or soon after. It's pretty much picked up a seed pack. And didn't know, knew nothing, knew nothing. Did, sure, they have spacing and stuff on the seed packs, but what do you, what do you do? Uh, how do you prep it? Do you plant it in the grass? Like I knew nothing. <laughs> so uh, I, my Rebecca's parents had some friends who I knew who grew a garden, and I uh, just called them up, 
hey, would you come help me prepare a garden? And he came out with his tiller and, and helped me get going with a garden. And that's really how it all going. It, it started with wanting to be healthy, but also being cheap. No, I get it. Um, I, I grew up with that mindset. Like we, we had a, about a half acre garden, quarter acre garden, I would say, and then about another quarter acre for the birds, um, dedicated to them as a kid in high school. And we did that because, and I didn't know at the time because we were dead poor mm. and like it was a significant part of the food we ate. We did hunting and fishing and foraging too for the same reason. I just thought it was all fun and games, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think there's a long history of that. And then we kind of lost it. Like I think. I'm, I'm about 50. So my generation, even my generation, a very small piece of it really tied into their grandparents and saw that a lot of us didn't. And then it kind of ebbed off. And then we had this big resurgence right about the time I started the show in 08. And I was trying to remember kind of when you launched your thing and the first time you were on the show, it's gotta be it prior was, to 2014. I don't yeah, know exactly when YouTube in for six years, I came and saw you on the great American farm tour five years ago. Uh, but I think I got on your show even before I was YouTubing because I yeah you did culture chickens yeah you were all, yeah it was all, that's what it was it was it, you had the that's one product and that was kind of how you launched your presence with permaculture chickens and I say it's got to be around 2014 because I think that was the the PV permaculture voices we were at together yeah. was that year so it's somewhere in that range that's like eight years um and you didn't just come out with that product like you were already on this journey so you've been doing this a while. I've been doing this a while, kind of did it as a kid, came back around and did it as an adult. And we did see this resurgence, but nothing like during the 2020 pandemic. That oh, was yeah. insane. Can What are your thoughts on why it exploded so heavily? Was it just fear or was it, do you think that maybe we and people like us primed the pump for that to happen? Like there was so much information out there and it was in people's orbit. And then it was like, once I bought my toilet paper, well, what can I do next? Yeah. Well, I could go a lot of places with that. The, the, I'm wondering if in 2008, well, that was a financial crisis. I don't know if that had anything to do with why you got started or, 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 or going there. Does it have anything to do with it? It really didn't for me, but it was a big part of why it took off in my audience. I think I got on, I initially was talking about economics. I went back to the land, so to say, with growing my own food and all right after 9-11 and it wasn't a panic. It was. I was always gone and there was no grounding in my family. And my son was still in, you know, grade school at the time. It's a long time ago. We're going back to 9 11. And, uh, I, so I was already doing it, but it was definitely, it fit well with, Hey, get, you know, cause I started before the crisis. I started early in 08 and I was like, you guys better get money out of the freaking stock market and you better plan a garden. You better be prepared and you better do all those things. So yeah, that was part of, I think what pushed it then, but nothing like 2020. Well, what happened in 2020 it was interesting because Jack, you know, you, you, you're, you're, you're laying it out here for me. Like six, six years ago, I started my YouTube channel. You know, economics are good. Uh, people have jobs and stuff, but going into 2020 and every year I do a spring launch, a fall launch and a new year's launch of my, uh, of my member area, Abundance Plus. And we were going into a spring launch in 2020. And you know, you know this, Jack, I mean, when they put in the quarantines and stuff like that, not, not much really changes for us homesteaders. I mean, no. it's like, welcome to our world. We homeschool. We, it's our, we're there. So, uh, but we, we are aware and we're considerate and I'm always considering the audience. And I'm like, I, I started actually being like, well, wait, maybe I shouldn't sell 
you know, I kept, felt kind of weird about maybe pitching my member area in the spring. Mm-hmm. And people at the same time were losing their jobs. And so I had a talk with uh, my assistant. I said, Heather, I told her these feelings. And she said, you know what, Justin, you, you had the answer. What you're offering is the answer. And she was so right. And that, tri- I mean, it gives me chills now. It triggers me. People were getting a thousand dollar refunds, not refunds, uh, stimulus at the time. Mm-hmm. I did a series of videos to promote our, our member. Uh, how much garden could you, how much produce could you get out of your garden if you invested a thousand dollars? You remember, you're telling people to get out of the stock market, start yeah. investing in garden, start investing. Yeah. I asked Joel Salatin once. Hey, do you invest in the stock market? You know, and he's like, no, heck, if I get any extra money, I'm putting it in ponds. So it's, a, it's that whole idea. So how much, if you put a thousand dollars into meat chickens, if you put a thousand dollars into uh, laying eggs, turns out you're three Xing or more your investment. You cannot, th- if you put your money in the stability of the overall index fund in the stock market, the S&P 500 or something, you're going to get 8% every year. It's done that last hundred years. Very consistent. Outperforms real estate. It does not outperform the garden. <laughs> not even close. Like 300% versus 800%. So I think people, look, Jack, we were promoting our, my services as an educator as, Hey, look, you can save money. It's healthier. You can work with your family. You're being connected. But what happened in 2020 is a new one. Yeah. Food shortages entered our vernacular for the first time. Mine, at least, as a 43-year-old. And my goodness, people needed security, even if it was just a freaking uh, basil seed planted in a, in a terracotta pot in their windowsill. They needed something. And we, to answer your question, I think we had the fortune of already being there when people were searching it out. Because our YouTube channel uh, went up 60% that year. Our sales in Abundance Plus quadrupled. And it's, we were there. Yeah, it, it's been a good year, as you might, or good couple of years, as you might imagine, for something called the Survival Podcast as well. It, it seems yeah. to have gotten people's attention. On the ROI, like there's bigger things than that. I know you're not a CPA or anything. But here's a financial question for you: If I if I buy a thousand dollars worth of stock and it goes up and I get lucky and I sell it for five thousand yeah. dollars, what do I pay taxes on? Yeah, that's true. Four thousand bucks, right? Yeah. But if I if I invest a thousand dollars into my homestead. And over the next year, I harvest $5,000 worth of food at retail grocery prices. How much do I pay taxes on? Nothing. 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 Absolutely nothing. And, and our tax assessor people are so dumb, they don't even understand the value of that increase. They understand the value increase of a deck or a pool or a remodel. But you can plant all the bushes, trees, livestock, uh, infrastructure, all that stuff you want. And it doesn't move the needle on your property appreciation. Now, it might appreciate for other reasons, but that's not why. We're like... When we put the pool in the deck in, we immediately saw a, a hit. You know, they, they go on Google Earth and they look, oh, he's got a pool in a deck now. We'll just add 20 grand to the value of his property. But I've never noticed any correlation between ponds going in or gardens going in or trees going in or chickens or ducks and my property taxes. So all, <laughs> there's a lot of other ways you can invest that maybe you, even if you did as well, you still don't net as well. Plus, who controls that mutual fund or that individual stock? I know. I know. You know, we don't. That's the greatest answer in the world. We really don't know who controls it. But you're right. Who controls, who controls your meat chicken operation? You do. Me. Yeah. And I think people like. I think that's another part of the why it exploded. Like people realize, like I need to do something that I can touch, that I can see, yeah. that I can look at, right? And I think, like you said, like our lives didn't change much. And I think 
our impact on social media was was big with that too. Where like everybody's freaking out, locked in their house. Like, what am I going to do? I can't find you know any more barley or whatever. They also they wanted to buy barley and wheat or some shit. And you know, I'm posting pictures of me and my grandson fishing in the back backyard yes. pond, right? And we're listening to classic music. They're like, are you afraid you're going to get COVID? I'm like. They they practically live with me. I mean, what am I going to do? Tell them they have they can't come here anymore. Like you right. know, and and then like I think over time people start looking at it going, gee, uh, kind of kind of wish you would have listened to these guys uh, a, a long time ago. They think there was a lot of people listening to people like us, and they liked the idea, but they had yet to take the action. So I think there was a lot of like funnel priming there for businesses, but also just for the movement as a whole. Man, you speak to it because. They can get started that year, but but you know, homesteading, it's it's a patience game. Uh, it's a uh, when we first started with a sheep, you know, we wait, we got on Greg Judy's waiting list to get the best sheep in the world, and, the, and that was a year. And then we got the sheep, and then they we waited a year to breed them, and then we waited nine months, and then they were born, and waited almost another year. So we're looking at like three years. But guess guess. You know, we're harvesting during during the middle of all this. Yep. That, that end result, we're we're reaping that, and that, that was nice. That was nice to be able to uh, be okay with the feeling secure. If they did even, God forbid, prevent you from growing into the grocery store for whatever yeah. reason, we yeah, we definitely. walk their freezer and pull it out. But that is from work put in, and um, you know, I, I say if. It, if there's anything good going to come, let's look at this. There is something good coming out of this, and that is that people are are, are wanting to uh, grow more close to their heart and right outside their door and take some control. We had a carpenter in that time. So, you know, what? I, I found out in 2020 that my business was recession proof, you know, like like alcohol or guns. You know, I found, I found out <laughs> teaching homesteading tends to be recession proof. I mean, we actually went up and it, and it makes sense because it's the answer. And we had a carpenter. I had a carpenter at that time. I was giving people jobs. He had no jobs. His, his main source dried up because they wanted him to put, you know, all the restrictions, you, you know, everybody was really scared at first. I mean, nobody yeah. knew was this serious. Was this, uh, was this something that was going to be terribly dangerous? You know what? And so, uh, he came and, he told me there was no chicken on the shelves at the grocery store. We never heard of that. Supply chain issues, that's a new thing. That's a new yeah. term in our head. Yeah. Uh, um, so it's gotten us thinking, and I, and I was thankful that I could just go to my freezer and give him some chickens. You know, you mentioned the sheep, and I want to pause there a second because it's, there's some interesting things. One, there was an interview you did on site with Greg with the sheep. Yeah. And that's one that I'll make sure I get it in the show notes. Everybody should go watch that video on your channel. That was one of the best videos mm -hmm. I saw, whether you want to be small scale, kind of like you are, or go large scale yeah. and the advantage of sheep over cattle. But there's a unique advantage in this situation. So what I found was that there were people, they could buy a cow mm -hmm. or split a, a half beef. They couldn't get it processed during all this. Uh. Right? And, and processing a cow I don't know if you've ever processed any animal over about 300 pounds. I mean, even a 300-pound pig is, it is brute force labor. It is not easy. And once you start, there's kind of a time that you have to get it broken down to where you can chill it, you know, in whatever means you have to chill it. If it's really cold outside, you can hang it up in a barn. That's one thing. But if you don't have a walk-in cooler, 
processing a cow on your own is hard. Yeah. Processing a lamb is almost no different than processing a deer. Yeah. It's about the same size as a, as a decent size mature white tail. You can throw a gamble on the legs, hoisting up in your, in your barn or out a tree in your backyard. And if you know what you're doing, you can go to work with a skinning knife and you can break that animal down and quarter it. You can age it in a, in a spare refrigerator if you want to hang the meat for, for a little bit before you process it further. And you can't do that with a cow. Same thing. You're big on chickens, right? Like, so I can have a flock of chickens and maybe I'm doing some dedicated meat birds, but I also can do some hybridization. I can breed a large breed, like let's say a Brahma rooster to a buff Orpington hen. I can have them running around out there. It'd be better if they were harvested rather young, but I don't have to harvest them. And I can, I don't have to store that. I can go out and, and like, so these advantages that we're able to give people by teaching this mindset, mm -hmm. like, so you might run a 25 bird or 50 bird meat bird run every year using Cornish cross. But if you need more meat than that, you have to on the fly bring it up. You can. Yeah. You know, does that make sense? I know. You're the boss. <laughs> uh, you bring that up about the sheep. I think sheep are the most underrated uh, farm animal there is, a homestead animal there is. Uh, yeah. it, it's delicious. They're, they're small. Like a goat, they give you milk, uh, taste better than a goat, and don't get out as bad. And, uh, We'll eat everything too. They'll eat the poison ivy and, and the bramble. And if you didn't have a bramble, unlike a goat, a sheep can survive 100%, not just survive, but thrive on just 100% grass. So yeah, grass and, and browse. And, and if you do the sheep like, like Greg's doing hair sheep, right? I, there's a couple of things I loved about that interview you did with him. One was when he was like, no, I don't do wool sheep. It costs more money to take the, I'll just love his directness. It costs more money to take the wool off the sheep than the wool is worth. Why would you do that? And yeah. then his solution and why he's got such an obedient flock of sheep and how he, he was talking about how if a sheep jumps the fence, the electric fence, it's as out. soon as one does it, the other <laughs> one does it. And then they learn from each other. You come out one day, there's one, you put them back in, you come out the next day, there's three. So as soon as a sheep dumps the fence, it gets taken out like a, like a deer rifle. And then that's, that's meat for the house. And he's been doing that apparently a long time. And he's, I think, genetically selected sheep that don't jump over fences. Yeah. No, he does. I, I'll have my sheep in an electric net and, uh, that net will fall over for some reason or whatever, be laying on the ground. They won't get out. I mean, he's trained those sheep to stay in one strand of electric fence. For those that don't know, that's just unheard of. That's just ludicrous. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, amazing. And it's probably kind of like, dude, let me tell you what the deal is. If you go over that fence, yeah. <laughs> <Right>? so, <laughs> there's a loud bang and then you fall over and then you don't come back. So I, I wouldn't do it, you know. <laughs> oh, you know what's cool about Greg Judy is it's, it's this no-nonsense approach. He's looking at it. He's able to look at it from a macro level, you know, and, yeah. and say, if you ask him in one of my original videos uh, on the farm tour, the reason he got into sustainable or regenerative ag, whatever you want to call it, was for the money. It was more profitable. He was going bankrupt conventional farming, and he just loved the cows so much. He had to find a way, and he found that, my goodness, he could quadruple the production of his land, same land, quadruple the out, output if he just started moving the animals every day. And now he's yeah. like moving his animals four times a day. And it's not, it's not this, uh, I got to do it. No, it's, if I move them, I'm working on the land as opposed to an office and making a great living. You remember when we were at Permaculture Voices? I don't know if you remember there. And I think it, Paul Eaton or somebody said, who in here is, Turned to profit last year. <laughs> that was me. 
You might have raised your hand. Greg that, Judy. No, that was me that asked that question. Oh, I said, who won was profitable last year? <laughs> who raised no, their hand? Do you remember that? Yes. Greg Judy put it right up. He was like the only one. There was like two people that raised their hands, and I'm like, oh, wow. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's not that's good. Not, it's okay to make money because because guess what, Jack? Your point is, well, Greg Judy's still around. And now he's yeah. making YouTube videos and he's expanding this movement. And when people are drawn towards this, there's something for them to watch and learn from. And where are those other people? Out of business at best, right? No, I, mean, really. office, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're drawing stimulus checks. On the whole thing, though, we're kind of talking about something that's more of a, a large scale money making operation in Judy. And, and most of my listeners, most of your followers, are people that are trying to feed themselves and their families, small homestead holdings, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Do you think this movement in homesteading is, is it real? Is it got legs behind? Is it sustainable? Is it going to grow? Or is it like a short-term fad kicked in by COVID? Or is it somewhere between those two? I'm thinking from my perspective, I, I don't think it's a fad. I think it's a trend. It's an upward trend. And where, where I'm going, where, where I think the reason I think that is when we traveled America in 2000, it was five years ago, it was 2017. Uh, we hadn't been to Walmart in years. Uh, you know, we would like, we'd like to order our stuff online, but when you go on the road and you're living in a converted school bus, Walmart becomes your best friend. I mean, yeah, yeah. uh, they have everything you can get, a, a fix a flat and bananas at the same place. <laughs> so, but you know what you could also get there? I noticed. Uh, they had organic milk. They had, com- I think uh, Target has kombucha. Uh, they were getting into the organics. That's not because the Walton family is convicted towards organics and a better world, right? No, I think it's because people are demanding it. And, and now that you ask that and I look at my perspective, what happened to me? I started trying to eat healthier. I mean, we have a health crisis on our hands in America. We're going to start eating healthier and people are going to start demanding it. And I I see people going on my same journey. Not everybody. There will be people who will support farms and local farms and and whatnot. But I I would think that a big portion as this health movement grows, so will the the food movement. Because if you get on, on growing your own food, not only are you eating healthier food, you're getting vitamin D because you're out in the sun. You're getting cold exposure, which is a health benefit. You know, take off your sweater in the morning. Be a little cold doing the chores. Uh, uh, you're getting exercise. You're moving. You're getting emotional therapy, you know, because you have your uh, kids or spouse with you or, or you're seeing the sunrise. You know what I mean? So it's I think because the health movement is going up, this this stuff's going to go up. And it, it's and and like health is not going out of fashion or date. And so I don't think this will either. You know, I think a big part of it is is meat production and other protein and fat production as well, whether it's dairy, the ability to make your own cheese, raising your own meat, chickens, egg flocks, all of that, because it seems like the mainstream is pushing everybody to eat, I don't know, beet juice colored soy curd burger or whatever, uh, the impossible burger. It's impossible that it's burger. That's that's what it is. And I think people have this desire, like I, no matter how much they try to turn us into you know, vegetarians or vegans, most people have a desire to eat meat. We know that it's the most nutrient dense food we can get. And I think that as they push harder there, they actually are going to push more people into this world. I think the whole concept of like carnivore, ketogenic eating, things like that have actually fueled it as well. It seems like a lot of people go into keto 
right, or, or carnivore eating. They follow somebody like Ken Berry, and the first thing they want to do is make mozzarella pizza balls or some shit like that. But as their health improves, even if they're doing dirty keto or whatever, all of a sudden they start wanting a grass-fed beef. And then they start finding out, like you did, how much that costs, right, and, that you know, pastured poultry. And they start realizing, well, okay, I'm going to pay $25 a bird. And then they wonder where that cost comes from versus a $5 subsidized chicken house of horror chicken. When they do the math, I'm like, oh, that guy has to make that much. But even if I buy a few, I can't, I can't feed my family paying that rate. You know, some people have the money to do it. That's why those farmers can earn a living, but some people don't. So all of a sudden they're right where you were at the beginning of this episode. If I want to eat this way, yeah. then I need to do these things for myself so that I can turn around and maybe I can't raise that chicken for five bucks like the one at the grocery store, but I can raise a much better chicken for 10 to $12 yeah. and I'm paying half of what I would buy it for. And some of this is, is backfiring on people. I've been reading about uh, psychology and, and stuff like that. And it actually turns out like with the censorship and stuff that's going on across the social media, when, when people uh, become censored, the, the opposite happens. From what the authority wants, they want them yeah. to submit. But what happens is more people buck. <laughs> yeah. That's why we have all these. I see you have all these these different platforms that, that aren't censored. Like all these different platforms have, have popped up. We're creating our own. So that's just, just human nature and it's firing against them. And so it's like uh, that that too, you know, with this. Um, okay. A good example is you, you talked about this push for the like this chemical meat. Uh, and you know, uh, Bill Gates was getting heavy in that. And that's kind of frightening with the amount of money they have uh, that money going into that type of stuff. And, you know, we had a heifer and we traditionally sell our if folks don't know heifer is a female cow. We traditionally sell those. Rebecca and I are like, no, we're going to hang on to that heifer and we're going to eat that heifer. Like it made us more hungry for beef, uh, trying to cancel it. And I could get into how actually beef is, is one of the most sustainable eco-friendly things you could you could do uh we might get into that later i don't know but uh, well it eats perennial grass and the grass grows back i mean if i have to explain more than that uh, there's a lot more to it but if i have to explain more than that you don't want to understand right well if as long as this grass is shining uh jack the cow's food is growing and if the and if the sun stops shining we got way bigger problems okay we're, we're done in this like we're done in hours you know what i mean so yeah, 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 maybe minutes. Right? So it's funny yeah, how it's gonna... these pressures comes in, and if that's their agenda, then then it's not working because it's 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 backfiring. Um, silent people are getting loud. Uh, you know, we're finding so it's 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 actually creating community, and uh, eventually it will make people bold and think more for themselves. And so there there can be a lot of good come from all this. Absolutely, and, and, it's, and that's and it's trending like as long as there's people trying to strip freedom. What are we homesteaders going to be doing? The homesteader movement is going to grow and they're going to want to be growing their, their own things because that creates freedom that gives them security in their heart. They don't have to depend on a third party or, or a government to get them their food. Yeah. How important do you think it is for people to do this in 2022, given the, the, the place we're headed down right now? I mean, I think uh, homesteading is is one of the most foolproof things you can do, good times or bad. Like, what what's it gonna hurt? What it's gonna hurt if you invest a thousand bucks 
get $3,000 worth of produce, even if you did it out of a of heart of preparation. And then things didn't go uh, that way. Who cares? Like you have all this, you have all this abundance of food that, that you could sell, share with neighbors, eat for yourself, store. You know, I have the mind, you, 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 you said I, I lean heavy towards chicken. I'll admit, I'll admit on, on this that I'm moving towards, um, beef or, or not beef, cows, cows. Yeah. I say not beef because a cow can give you milk and, uh, which milk gives you all kinds of things and beef and livestock to sell because really because always analyzing what's going on and saying, well, well, supply chain issues. What happens if there's a supply chain issue with grain? Uh, chickens are great. I mean, you could raise 12 on an, on an acre and never feed them. Yeah. And, and, and that's, and that's fine and true. So it, it would, if something were to happen and we were to have at least, I don't think it's a stretch for anybody to say we could have a supply chain issue with grain. That, 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 that's not going to shock anybody more. No. If I came on your show three years ago and said, you know, I'm prepping for a, for a, a food shortage issue, you know, people might, the mainstream might write me off. The mainstream is even going to agree with me here. There could be a grain shortage. And what, so I'm looking at, and in my health journey, Jack, you mentioned Ken Berry. These carnivore, these keto guys will tell you these are the superfoods. Yeah. The beef from head to toe, the, eating those organs, the raw milk. These are not just survival foods. They're thrival foods. Yep. And I realize I could, I, as long as the grass is growing, I can go out there and harvest. I harvested uh, three gallons this morning from my milk. That's uh, I sh- Morgan told me. I saw him. He's on your comments. He told me not to do math in public. That's 24 pounds of <laughs> <laughs> but I went for it. You can correct me if I'm wrong. That's 24 pounds of, that's 24 pounds of food, Jack. That's yeah. enough. Me and my family of six, not just to, to survive in a pinch. We could thrive just, just consuming that raw milk. So <laughs> no, I think there's a lot to it. And, and yeah, you know, acai berries are not superfoods. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. You know, wheatgrass is not a superfood unless you feed it to a cow and eat the cow. Right. Like, I know you can, but if you, if people have a hard time accepting this, but if if you tried to live on, let's say corn and only corn, you're going to die. And if you don't (laughs) die, you're, you're probably going to die. If you do nixtamalization, you might survive. But if you tried to live exclusively on corn, you're going to die. If you, if you were to live exclusively on, on cow, so that, like you said, that's organs, that's, that's beef, that, that's the fat, that's all it, you will thrive. No, you'll thrive. You will thrive. And all you have to do is look at when, when early societies went out and, and did exploring and they ran into indigenous societies that had not really embraced ag, that were yeah. living mainly off fish and, yeah. and game. And they, they referred, like when they came to the United States here, there were, there were Native Americans who were doing more of a farming lifestyle, but most like the yeah. Northeast and because of the abundance of the Northeast woods and then the Plains Indians with the abundance of buffalo and elk, they were living on almost all meat and they referred to them as giants because they, their average person was several inches taller, not just that they were more muscular, but and leaner, but they were taller. And you know, when you come into a place and, and somebody's two inches taller than you or three inches taller, you don't like, well, that guy's a giant, but when freaking everybody yes. is like that, you start to feel like, Hey, you know, we're kind of outclassed here on size. And uh yeah, so I think there's definitely something to the historical 
consumption of meat-based uh, diets. Absolutely. Well, look, at, look at it now. We can look at it now. Let's look at some giants. Ken, you mentioned Ken Barry. He's Jack. Yeah, he's, he's Jack. He's like 54 years okay. old, and he's okay. you know. mid 50s. Best shape of his life, Jack. Liver King uh, on, on on Instagram, and then uh, Carnivore MD, Sean Baker. All these guys are jacked, and they have these people who are Thomas Delore. Yeah, and and people who and they have all these testimonies of people doing this, and not just you uh, surviving on it. No, no thriving, and you know it ends up being. And, and one thing you mentioned about the Native Americans, even if they were growing the maize or whatever, you know, it's not this. We kind of live in this new era when I can get watermelon all year <laughs> round. You know, I can get bananas, Jack. I, yeah. if, if, if I was the Cherokee Nation in North Carolina, I'm not eating bananas. No, no. But everywhere in the world, there is animal all year round, even up in the Antarctic. Yeah, Bill Mollison said the further you go in Arctic climates, the more you have to be a carnivore. Just yeah. because that's the stuff that the animal can eat, you can't. But you yeah. can't process lichens into yeah. human, you know, but a musk ox can, right? Yeah, there's there's definitely something to that. And and yeah, it does change your health. I'm I'm a walking example of it. I I've lost close to a hundred pounds. And people look at me sometimes, some of the pictures I post recently, like, you must be pounding weights or whatever. I'm like hay bales? Uh, uh, shoveling compost, but I haven't touched a barbell in a long time, man. Uh, your body just retunes when your hormones are right. Um, what do you think though? Like, let's go even higher level. And, you know, Bill Mollison was famous for saying all the world's solution, or actually Jeff Lawton, all the world's, all the world's problems can be solved in a garden. I, I think that that is a metaphor and it needs to not be taken just like all we need is a garden and everybody will be happy. But right. I kind of feel like the whole package together homesteading permaculture thing is a solution to a lot of problems in the world. Yeah. You know what Lucas Nelson sings? Turn off the news and build a garden. Huh. I like it. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's the solution because you, you're actually going into your realm of influence. I mean, there's this circle of concern, this Stephen Covey stuff that, that the habits of successful people. There's this realm of concern that we absolutely got no control over. And, and you could watch Fox News or CNN or whatever it is. And let's admit it. I mean, you, you're going to be entertained. It's going to be interesting. And, but what can you do about it? You're going to go away stressed. What can you do about it? Well, turn that off and build a garden. And that's not putting your hand in, that's not putting your head in the sand. That's putting the, uh, the battle armor on and going to war towards these problems and making a difference. And so what happens that you, you mentioned, that, yeah, it needs to be a metaphor or whatever. It, it doesn't need to stop the garden. Um, it, I, I like to say, cause I, I like to eat more meat, turn off the news and tend to chicken. <laughs> yeah. So it could yeah. go that way too. That's what we mean. But what's interesting is, uh, Martha Stewart, uh, Oprah has a garden. It's, it's socially acceptable. Uh, those are allowed before anything else, you know, in, in HOAs and stuff. You're not a weirdo if you have a garden and you can maybe have a garden and maybe not even change your life too much. And your friends don't think you're crazy, but you have a garden long enough. You get enough success. What are you going to do, Jack? You're going to get a chicken. You know, you're going to get yeah. some. Chicken. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's <laughs> the gateway drug, right? The garden is the gateway drug and it's to homesteading. It's not just acceptable, it's almost enviable to people, right? Like, yeah. whenever you watch, like, 
even like mainstream movies and sitcoms and whatever, there's always like the old lady that has the garden with the tomatoes and everybody loves her and everybody, yeah, you know, like yeah. it's, it's not in any way stigmatized yet anyway. But yeah. once you get the person on board, you know, and I, I don't know about you, I felt like the best way to get people even started with the garden, somebody comes over and it's the middle of summer and yeah. there's that little perfect ripe Cuban L pepper sitting on that plant. Yeah. Bright red. And you just pull it off and hand it to them. And then the first thing they look at you is like, what? I can eat it? Like it doesn't yeah. have to be washed and scrubbed and sprayed down with vinegar or whatever. Like, no, like there's nothing on that that's going to hurt you. I, I, this is how I eat breakfast every morning. And they bite <laughs> that pepper that's warm by the sun. And you say, you know what? Here, mix this with a hand of a basil leaf. And they eat like a basil leaf and a warm piece of tomato, sun warm tomato or sun warm pepper. And it's like, you don't have to push. How do I do this? Yeah. Well, let me tell you. And like you said, then there's going to be chickens or there's going to be ducks or there's going to be sheep. There's going to be something. There's going to be a canner. There's going to be a dehydrator. There's going to be a bigger garden. There's going to be a garden pond. There's going to be an aquaponic system. There's going to be something else that's coming. Yes. Then it becomes a lifestyle. Then it's not just, oh, something you do on your side. No, no. When you get a chicken, you're you're putting them up at night and you're letting them out in the morning. And so that means you're leaving the party early. And you're saying, hey, guys, I got to go. Take they, might birds. You. they might laugh at you as you leave. But who's laughing that next morning when you have fresh fried uh, eggs with a side of fried potatoes or something? Who's laughing yeah. then? <laughs> yeah. If you have yeah. They, they do keep you they do keep you on the land. You do travel less. You do spend less time away from home and then you spend less money. Yes. You know, like, you you know? and you don't have to pay taxes on the money you save, do you? <laughs> no, you don't pay taxes on money you save, and you don't have to pay money on taxes on the money you you basically earn by feeding yourself from your land. Yes. Um, you know, and you don't have to pay taxes on you know how many eggs came out of the chicken's butt this week, or how much milk came out of the cow, or how much how much lamb went into the freezer. You you don't have to pay tax on any of that. Yeah. Mm-mm. So, where should someone start? And expand to, like we just said, like you get in a garden, you're going to go somewhere else. You think gardening yeah. probably is the best place. I, yeah. I, I wax in and out on the garden thing. If you can go somewhere else, I think that whether it's chickens or ducks, like an egg laying bird, the first six months and into that first egg, it's the most expensive egg you will ever see in your life paying back that feed debt. But the nutritional density of an egg versus a bell pepper. And once you set up a system, you have infrastructure, let's say you have a small backyard flock, six ducks, six chickens, something like that. Like there's not much work. There's no weeding. They eat the weeds, right? Like, so I kind of go back and forth between small scale livestock of some sort and a garden. Yeah. So if you're going back and forth between that, this is what I tell folks in the book, Bill Mollison taught us with, with permaculture to grow right outside your door. So that's one concept, just Cultivate right outside your door. And you know, permaculture will also teach you um, to, to count the visits of things, you know, uh, figure out how many times you're going to visit a garden, how many times you're going to visit a chicken and put put these. Th- the more more you visit, the closer you can put it to your house. So if you can, I mean, you're going to visit chickens twice a day. It's over 700 visits a year. Put them in your front yard. I mean, if it's socially acceptable. But if you're and that's where I started with the book is teaching chickens and gardening. And they make so much sense together. But if you're on, if you're kind of like, uh, you're, so, you, 
you you're start you're you're starting out or you want to know what to do next you 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 go a little further and you grow outside the door of your heart uh and think about what you like to eat it sounds like you know you you have some memories of of gardens and like you want to do these peppers and then uh but you know chickens is cool cuz you have this protein compact egg and and maybe you're on a journey and I, and I and I say you but I I could be speaking to anybody Yeah, you're speaking cuz I'm speaking to other chicken. people. Me I you know me I do freaking everything but when people say where do I start, you know, yeah. like if you want nutrient density fast and you can find something yeah. that's got some well started pullets and they're, you know, 16 weeks old. Yeah. Like do another that. 6 that weeks and you've got you've got nutrient density daily. Do that all day. Don't grow kale cuz it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause, cause you think somebody's going to throw rotten tomatoes at you if you admit you don't like tomatoes. Uh, cause you, you do, you fall into that. You think, oh, I've got to grow a tomato or, oh, I've got to grow a pepper that, that, yeah. that Josh was talking about. Or I see Justin loving these. You might not like chicken eggs. What if you like duck eggs? What if you, what if you don't like eggs? What, what if you'd just rather have a chicken meat? What if you're a meat and potatoes guy? Well, you, you know, uh, the beef can be a little more, you know, that's kind of a bit of a next level. So maybe you start with potatoes and I'm talking seriously and, and get rid of that shame, get rid of any pressure and really just think about what you want. Like you're saying, Hey, what if you want the more protein and you know, you're on this health journey and you want this density, it's okay to rest the garden and, yeah. and focus on the chickens. If you're overwhelmed and can't do them both, or if you're trying to decide it's okay to just do chickens. Jump, jump right to them. Just go into the chickens. Yeah. 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 So the exact starting point, I think the exact starting point is less important than yeah. something and doing it. But, That's you know, it. like you said, a couple small raised beds and even a small coop and run. And every day that you go out there to tend the garden, you yank all the, uh, the weeds that you need to yank for that week and you throw those yeah. in with your chickens. And then when you go out to your garden, you follow basic design principles of permaculture. You have your little thing, all your compostable chicken scraps go in that. And when you walk out to, 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 to let your birds go into the run or whatever, you dump that, you throw the, the weeds, then the weeds get actually taken care of. Then you yeah. actually see it when a plant's getting sick or it's being watered too much or too little. And then you take action for it. So like the birds actually move the, the, the caretaker to the garden if we co-locate them. And I, you know, I've always said it's close to your home as makes yeah. sense, right? Yeah. Like your chickens belong in zone one. They don't belong in zone five unless you're pasturing 10,000 of them. That's not what we, I'm talking about. We have some out in zone, uh, four or five went following the cows, but we also have definitely the, the ones right next to our kitchen garden. And that's yeah. why I put chickens and gardens together. You, you hit on it there. You might as well do them both. It's not, it's not that much more work. You're, you're already. So I like, I would say, uh, put your, Put your garden right there by your house. Put your chickens right here. And then you're walking through to get to your chickens. You're walking through and you're weeding the garden. And then on your way to the chickens, then you throw the weeds into the into the chickens. And hopefully the chickens are on, on deep bedding like a wood chip or something. And these is getting break down to compost over time. And then you you let out the chickens. Maybe you grab the yeah, grab the eggs, then walk back. Get you some Swiss chard or something like that if, if you're into that stuff, uh, the, the leafy green. Go into the house, fry up some Swiss chard and some fried eggs. You know, it's not that much yeah. more trouble to have both, and they complement each other. The chickens feed the garden, and the gardens feed the chickens. 
Yeah, and you'll find working a, a small garden, if you're talking about a, a market garden or something, there's a lot of work to it, but a, a family garden, right. if you touch it every day, it's yeah. not that much work. If you touch it on Saturdays, then it can, especially when you get into the peak of your, like, your growing season and the weeds really take off and whatever, yeah. it could, and, and some, you know, maybe some pests come in that need some manual control or something. It can seem like a lot of work, but if every morning you're out there and, oh, there's a, there's a tomato hornworm, take the knife and draw it across its back and leave it lay on the ground for the chicken to eat. And yeah. you go on about your way. It's, it's very little labor. And we've been talking about chickens and we've mentioned ducks a few times. We talked about sheep. I'll throw out, and I did a show on this recently for people that want to grow meat. One of the best animals in the world, especially for small scale people when they're sitting here going, I'm glad Justin has a cow, but on my half acre, that's not going to happen. Muscovy ducks. Yeah. Muscovy ducks are freaking phenomenal. They rear their own babies. You only get eggs about half a year, but when you're getting them, they're like volcanoes. Um, and a drake, a, like a, a well-grown-out drake, is going to dress out at like 11 pounds. And two adults will split a half a breast and be full. I mean, they're a fantastic animal. And, and I think the beauty, like people mentioned quail when we were talking. People mentioned rabbits. What works for you and how do you design it into your lifestyle, right? Yeah. I mean, we don't like the taste of rabbit. I mean, I like the idea that... Uh, I like the idea of rabbits, but it's all dark meat and just, we don't get really thrilled about the taste. We'd just rather focus on, on beef or lamb or something. Uh, yeah. I like the idea of rabbits. I love eating rabbit. Like in my household, everybody fights over the legs and thighs of the chicken, right? <laughs> Nobody wants the breast. So we're good with the dark yeah. meat. Yeah, I don't like, like, I don't like the work of the rabbit, right? Yeah. Like it gets a thousand yeah. degrees here in the summer and everybody that talks about them says, Oh, they're fine. And then, you know, you see videos of people throwing 10 ice bottles. So the rabbit doesn't die of heat or whatever. And I'm like, I don't need that other thing in my life. Now, if I have a neighbor that wants to raise them, I will totally swap some delicious eggs and Muscovy breast for yeah. a few rabbits. And I, that's the design, right? That's why people like you, Jack, because you're like Greg J Judy, you're no nonsense. And we all want to be that. We all want to be with, okay. We all want to be okay with, this is what I like, and that's okay. And and you may like that, and that's okay. We all need to get into that mentality. We, well, one, we'd all get along better if we'd accept other people's preferences and uh, not necessarily accept. That might not be the right word, but tolerate, tolerate, tolerate other other mm -hmm. uh, ideas and say, okay, yeah, that works for you. Hey, I like the Muscovy, and it probably doesn't eat a lot of grain, right? Like you could probably no. – do no. a lot of grass on that too. So you're talking. No, in about fact, if like if you're doing cattle, you can literally run Muscovies with your cattle, and they'll make a living on you know what they can get in the pasture. They'll also make a living on what they can get out of the cow patties. Yeah, I don't and know they'll go right into a cow patty, but they'll wait a couple of days until it starts to attract flies, and they'll break the fly cycle. Yeah, right. And they'll pick up seed and stuff that the cow passes through because the cow's going to do yep. a really good job of digesting the the grass, but it's going to get some seed head and stuff, and it's going to pass that through there's even commercial operations like they've done studies uh like commercial dairy and they, they are feeding grain obviously in those things but they put like five muscovy ducks per yeah. cow right in the milking barns mm. and they completely completely right. annihilate the fly problem and they right. feed them almost nothing because they're so busy eating <laughs> the spilled grain and eating whatever you know fly larvae come up or what have you yeah I don't know if Morgan Gold's still in the chat, but he he is a big advocate of geese for this reason because yeah. they, can, they can do even more than ducks. I don't know about Muscovy. I don't know if we're comparing them to Muscovy. They're like goose ducks, man. They're, they're like halfway in between, you know. <laughs> they're, 
or that they can eat so much. It's not necessarily in our culture to eat geese. We used to have the Christmas goose and, yeah. you know, kind of a more European. And then we come to America and the abundant bird is the turkey. So it kind of switches over to turkey. But, um, you know, um, just thinking about what's what what is close to your heart, and it might be what you like to eat, like taste, but it might be what we're getting at here too. Do you, you there's an element of security or sustainability that that might factor into it? Uh, joy of husbandry. Uh, do you enjoy yeah. going out and working with pigs? I love I love working with pig. I love petting a pig. It's like a brick on sticks. <laughs> They're just so fun. They eat all my crud, even the cow manure. <laughs> you want to talk about eating cow manure. <laughs> the pig will eat 30% of the cow manure because 30% of it is undigested. Uh, yeah. So I have I have a joy with that. I see what you're saying with the rabbits, you know. Yeah, yeah. there's joy. Lily, that's your thing. You do the rabbits. If they die, it's on you. It's a good learning experience for you. That's all you have no interest. Yeah. Yeah. And then like you mentioned geese and we just had a commenter mention geese there. Um, I love goose. I think it's one of the best tasting meats yeah. you can get. Yeah. I think the yield on a gosling to a young harvest goose at about 11 pounds in 11 weeks, like a pound a week on grass is awesome. The trade off, you know, they're not as good, especially our modern breeds at mothering their own. They don't have a high yeah. hatch rate. You throw Muscovies out there, you get about half sized bird on, on your girls, but you do yeah. nothing. You do literally nothing. One of your girls disappears. She thinks you got eaten. I don't know how they do it, but they they avoid coyotes and they hide under a bush somewhere. And one day, here comes one mama out with like 24 little peeps following her. And out of that 24, 23 will live. And you do no work. But not everybody wants Muscovy ducks around. They, you know, there's trade-offs and everything. If they can get on your porch, they'll poop. And they poop way more than regular ducks. I don't know why. Uh, and when they're pissed off, they, I think they actually literally have the ability to make their poop smell worse. Yeah. Like, cause when they're like upset with you, they'll, they'll drop one and it's like a skunk, man. It's like, what have you done? But I it's a, it's basically a wild bird that you just keep around. And so that works for some people. It doesn't work for others. Cattle, I think are amazing if you have the land for it. That's another thing I want to ask you from the notes I have from your yeah. submission here. Why do you think there is so many people right now villainizing cattle? Oh gosh. Now the the why they're villainizing that. Jack, I have no idea. I mean, maybe you know more about that as I could. Um I could I guess because could it be because the uh you can actually market uh chemical uh beef better? I mean, it could be patented. Uh maybe perhaps it's a bigger business, something tangible like that. Like like uh, pharmaceuticals, like are we really going to push herbs as a solution because there's no there's no one company with lots of budget to push comfrey as a healing salve, you know, or, or, yeah. or whatever. So maybe that's it. You got any? You got any? Yeah, I think it's multi pronged. I think first we have to break the the groups of people doing it into two groups. We have to break the leaders and the followers apart. So yeah. the leaders are the Bill Gateses of the world, the, the Monsanto will now bear Conagras of the world, big ag, big industry. I believe big farm is involved with it. I mean, you can't say Gates without seeing the overlap of ag and farm. Yeah. And I think and then you have your oligarchs, you have your technocrats and you have your government types and they like things that are quantifiable, storable, movable, controllable. And so I can say that there's, you know, X bushels of grain here with a tax base of Y. 
And if you look back through the history of agriculture and society, back to the Egyptians, even before that, Mesopotamia, that's, you know, grain bills were literally the first currency that you would have this bill from the pharaoh. And if you took it to the grains, you could get, you know, a basket of wheat with it. And you would take that that piece of paper from me versus taking a basket of grain because you knew you'd get that grain. And you knew if I gave you that and that was a counterfeit you would just say, here's who I got it from. And they would come take me and run a spear through me and hang me up in the street. Right. Like that is the history of agriculture and grain. And it could be stored and quantified and very easy to understand where a cow just is in a field. A cow is, you know, in a lot of ways, a cow is very reminiscent of the Buffalo that were in this country before colonization. And, you know, you can literally over time, we could develop cattle to the point where they don't even really need us very much. Yeah. And and that's very scary for somebody that wants to control a society. Yeah. That, that's yeah. really scary. Here's an interesting thing that if you're not from Fort Worth or haven't visited Cowtown during the, uh, they call it the cattle roundup, but it's like seven longhorns get walked through. The guy tells a story of this, and I'll do the abbreviated version. Back after the Civil War, there were so many longhorns in South Texas that the value of a full-size, full-grown beef longhorn, which is some of the best beef available now, it certainly was at the time, was about a dollar a head. Wow. But they were all around down by San Antonio. And I don't know if you're familiar with the area, but it's not exactly a jungle. It's not exactly known for heavy rainfall. It's kind of like in between steppe and desert, right? But these cattle were making a living down there. They were so well adapted. And sort of everybody that was farming cattle just kind of left their cattle and went to fight the war. So now you've got all these cattle down here. There's no railroad line. Hmm. There's no real roads. Yeah. Right. But if you went down with, and this is sort of a lot of the early cattle drives, how they started. If you went down with some cowboys and rounded up a herd and got them to Fort Worth, where there was a, it was a recognized cattle drive line and it was up into like Kansas or Missouri or somewhere, but it was still no railroad. You could get $5 a head. And uh, once that began, then they said, we, we should put a railroad in. And then it went to a, once they had the rail in, you could get $11 a head just by driving these livestock, these, these longhorns from kind of around San Antonio and South, South and Central Texas up to Fort Worth. And there were literally nobody owned them. There was no, like they were just free ranging. Now, when I think about that and I think about instead of them free ranging, I think of thousands, tens of thousands, maybe millions of small acreage homesteaders all raising some beef and, you know, Maybe I'm not going to raise beef on my three acres, but the guy with a hundred acres down the road from me, he raises, no, he's not going to be a big commercial rancher. He does rotational grazing. He's got his stuff together. I buy a half beef from him every year. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, how little do we need yeah. these people that want control? And the mm-hmm. cow is one of the number one things. So what they do is they tell the followers that are, you know, repeating the villainization, the methane is killing the planet and boiling the oceans. And of course, those people are so programmed. They're so nihilistic at this point. I know you saw it at Permaculture Voices, people saying things like we were sitting by the bay and we were like 12 feet above the bay. And they're like, people don't understand, man. They're the purple breathers. In a, in a couple of years, that water's going to be up here. And you're like, what are you talking about? We're talking about 12 feet of ocean rise. Where do you get this? And they have no idea. But they, I don't think they're bad people. I think they believe this because they've been taught to believe this. You know, anybody a little younger than you, especially, has been just nailed with it since kindergarten and school. So then the cows are evil because they fart methane and they're going to boil the ocean. Yeah. And we have to rely on people who, you know, have little girl arms and a pot belly like Bill Gates to tell us how to be healthy. I know. Right? And, and that, that whole thing all plays together. And I don't think any of it can really be separated. 
because there's so much power in the ability to produce literally one cow will feed a family for a year. You know oh. that a good oh. sized cow will provide all the nutrition a family of four could possibly need for you. You literally need nothing else. You've got bone broth, you've got fat, you've got other products that come off of babies like leather. Like it literally lets us live like sort of a modern Native American or, you know, yeah. modern indigenous people, I guess would be better because people didn't just live like this in North America. They live like this all over the place. And if we're going to start saying cattle are going to boil the ocean, should we go, should we go get some M2s, mount them up with some things, start driving around the plains of Africa and kill all the wildebeest and all the zebras and all the, you know, the water buffalo and all the Cape buffalo? What about the 50, 60 million bison that used to roam right yeah. out in a, you know, this place where I live, there were bison everywhere here before they were shot off to control the Native Americans. So I see like it's like history repeats itself in a weird way. It's not the same. So somebody's going to say, I'm going to say we're like the modern Indians or something. Not. But I'm saying like they controlled the Native Americans by yeah. destroying the buffalo. And I think if they can destroy homesteading and meat production by homesteaders and vilify us, it's 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 like reining back in that free people ideology. I can see what you're saying. You're saying they uh, it's not necessarily so much that 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 is even the truth. It's just they want more control. I can I can definitely speak to why the cow isn't causing that problem. And because I can only look at it from my perspective and and visiting people like Joel Salatin and Greg Judy, people, one, who are who, who are doing this management style of moving the cows and not having too many per acre, the land is actually getting better, not worse. So they're getting more from it. And and what you were speaking to, it could feed a whole family. Well, we were, we, I was actually walking out here. We, I actually had a guest, uh, it was, it's been a year or so ago. We're outside and they said, you know, I used to be a vegan and, and now I'm their carnivore. And he said, did you know that actually the most vegan thing you can do is actually eat meat? And I said, what? How is that? <laughs> Jack, you might know where I'm going with this. I'm thinking, how is, and I, I thought about it. I didn't want him to give me the answer. I thought, how is eating meat the most vegan thing you can do? And he's in, uh, I, I said, okay, you got me. <laughs> how is it? I couldn't, I couldn't think of it. And he, he said like you, like if, if it, well, one beef can feed an entire family. Well, if one beef is, ends up being, one steer raised to weigh is going to be about 400 pounds in your freezer. A man would eat two pounds of beef a day if that's what he needs. That's 200 days. So one animal could sustain me for 200 days. That animal raised this way is moved around regularly. There's no soil being tilled. So there's no microbial life being mass murdered in the billions. Uh, there's no uh, monoculture systems wrecking entire ecosystems. So, you know, let's consider their lives important too, you know, you, yeah. uh, wild animals and stuff like that. If we're into the love of the animal life, we have to consider the wild animals, right? So then these wild animals are being displaced for these monocultures. And then that ends up being heavily sprayed and that's getting in our water systems and affecting them and end up affecting humans. And oh my goodness, <laughs> don't get me started. So, uh, and then I could see it. I could yeah. see how then... If somebody doesn't want to take a life, take one as opposed and, and, and that one creating, creating an ecosystem. 
yeah. hosting flies. Uh, it, you, you could go micro, you could go even micro than that, you know, and not, and because we're not t- having to take down, destroy open fields, you know, you have ecosystems for your, for your wild animals. So eating the one animal that can reproduce itself and replace itself 10 X, uh, is, is better than just straight up. Uh, yeah. I see that because I think, I agree with vegans more than they think I do because I'll make fun of them sometimes or whatever. But when when a vegan gives their reason for being a vegan, there's some that really think they're healthier. And I just say, look at the averages of the two extremes and make your own choice. But most of the time I hear about the plight of animals. And when they start explaining how horrible is these animals are killed, they're not just talking about them being killed. They're talking about their entire lifestyle. Like yeah. how that animal lives its entire life. And so when you want to talk to, 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 when you talk to me and you tell me how bad a CAFO is, whether it's for pigs or cows or chickens or, you know, these chicken houses or you see these trucks going down the road with all the chickens stacked on each other, shitting on each other. You yeah. see these videos where, when people sneak in and film them where when they go to harvest the chickens, they're taking front end loaders full of dead birds out before they harvest the live ones. You don't have to convince me you're right about that. But I think a lot of times vegans don't realize there is an alternative. Yeah. Right. There's an alternative to that. It's exactly what you and I and people like us do and what we advocate. And when they look at it that way, if you look at total life. Yeah. So I don't know if it's the most vegan thing, but I think it's the for many vegans, it's the most uh, ethics consistent thing yeah. that they could really do, because if they're really worried about animal life and the environment, I can manage a system with cattle and I can make it more vibrant every year and more diverse every year. And I don't know if you've ever watched a show called Yellowstone, but there's this all this comes up in one of the episodes. And this rancher, he's talking to this this activist vegan chick. And he said, have you ever seen what happens when you plow a bean field or wheat field? He's like, you kill every deer, every mouse, every vole, everything. Every microorganism is destroyed, and I don't have the speech memorized, but something like that. So he said, I guess the question in the end is, how cute does an animal have to be before you're not willing to take its life? Exactly. You know, she kind of sees the way they're ranching, and they're ranching, like, not necessarily rotational grazing the way we did intensively, but but very much old school, move the cattle around, and the cows are living, and she sees how much they love it. She doesn't become a convert, but the point is made. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I would... You know, in that vein, I would encourage a vegan who who is maybe for that moral issue. Well, uh, at least eat roadkill. I mean, let's get some animal yeah. protein in there somehow. Yeah. I mean, animals just going to rot on the side of the road. I mean, if you see the deer, I mean, I don't think you're making a compromise there. I, I don't mean, think so. I think you're eating the most sustainable meat, red meat on the planet. If you're eating yeah. roadkill deer, you know, we travel yeah. to America. They have programs. I forget if it was in Maine or Alaska or both or in other and in other states, you can get on a call list. Yeah. If the meat gets hit, the police will go to that call list and you you can come and 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 harvest that animal. Yeah. Oh, that's great. It's technically illegal to pick up a roadkill deer in Texas, oh. but I've literally had a cop help me put one in my truck. <laughs> Good. Right? And I talked to him and I talked to my brother in law's a cop and they're like I guess a game warden, if he wanted to be a dick, could cite you. He's yeah, like, but, yeah. but we can't. We don't even have a code in our book for that. No. Right? We don't have. There's nothing to cite you for. If you Like, if you pulled over sideways on the road and blocked traffic, could write you a ticket for that. But if you pull off the road and safely remove the animal, first of all, they're like, well, now we don't have to worry about it. Right? right? 
Because somebody's going to call the non-emergency number of the local police force and be like, there's this thing and it's rotting and it's stinking and there's, you know, maggots. So, I mean, I pick them up all the time. Now, sometimes they're not salvage. You got to get it fresh. We should say to yeah. everybody, better be fresh. Fresh and how much damage was done. Like I found, I found someone had less damage than a gunshot and I've, I've, I've looked at someone and went, yeah, vultures get this one. Man. Yeah, no, just when in doubt, leave it out. Leave it out. Um, what, what do you think though? Let's go back to the homesteading here for a couple more. And then if you have time, we could take some audience questions. Um, what, what, what do you think newbies kind of miss when they start homesteading or maybe have unrealistic expectations? They look at stuff like we yeah. do. Yes. And I think you're good like me. You tend to show your bad days and your good days. Yeah. But a lot of channels, a lot of Instagram people, they always show the perfect, you know, hand hearts over the chicken eggs or whatever. And everything's always fun. like, it's not all fun and games, right? And especially in the beginning, it's harder than people think. That That's what people miss. And it's like missing the forest for the trees type of thing. I guess that's the right way to say it. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, they, 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 you, you come, you, you, you come into this for the, for the, the animals decorating the landscape and the unicorns farting rainbows and you, 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 you create this grandiose, oh, we're all sitting together down as a family to eat this. Uh, but really what happens is the, the chickens crap on your, on your steps going into the house. The bugs eat the cabbage. And, uh, your kid doesn't want to eat the green beans or something, you know, that, that's the reality. But, and, and then what happens is, uh, you, you find yourself in this grind. You find yourself in, so for me, we're, the cows don't take a break, Jack. You know this. They don't care it's Christmas. They don't care it's Saturday no. or Sunday. They don't care if your arm's broken or if you've got COVID or the flu. They don't care. <laughs> you still got to get it done. And so what I think has happened here uh, coming into this experience, I know people come for the dream, but it, it, I think Joel Salatin was telling me, uh, I think mo uh, most homesteads fail within the first seven years. So there's going to be this separation and this tension. And what you, what I'm going to tell you right now is you better learn to like the struggle. I could hold this up. There's a little reflection there, but there's calluses on my hands. There's scars uh, from fixing certain things or you're not going to fence post. I've poked my eye with a fence post, uh, uh, got reactive arthritis from handling uh, raw poultry and, and getting some manure on my hands or something. And it ended up in my mouth. So it's, it's, you, you, you came for the, the dream, but you better, you, you better learn to love the blood, sweat and tears because it ends up being all about the process. If you watch our YouTube show, you'll see it. We're not eating the entire show. I mean, who would want to watch that? No, you're seeing the processes. You're seeing me build the, the crop garden. You're seeing me uh, put up the pole barn. You're seeing a little glimpse of milking. The, and I, what I found out, Jack, is why you're missing the point if you're just skipping to the dream, to the sitting at the table and eating it. Because I've learned when I'm sitting down to that table and eating it, it's not necessarily the taste that makes it more enjoyable. Uh, uh, because, uh, sure, it tastes better, but not that much better. I mean, let's just be real. It, it, it can be, it, certainly an egg is better, but there are some things that maybe are even better just buying them in the store as far as taste is concerned. Um, so, but what made that meal so special is not just, I, I, I thought it was just, oh, not only did I know that story, I was part of that story. I thought it was that. It's not. What makes that meal so special 
is all those obstacles that you overcame to get there. You you overcame struggles. You overcame hard times. Uh, you might have to eat with your left hand. Or I, I if, if I was left-handed, I have a splint. Somehow I've got a splinter under my nail and it's not coming out. I, you might have to eat with your other hand uh, because you got injured because you got a, a, a splinter in it or, or a blister. Yeah. Actually, a blister on this, on this. <laughs> and I, if I looked at your hands, you probably, you, you probably. Yeah, I was laughing when you were saying that, and because earlier you mentioned comfrey, and I'm like, if anybody's ever wondered why I'm such a fan of learning to make salves and comfrey and plantain yeah. and chickweed, like, there's your answer. I, I, I you know, I go through yeah. tubs of the shit every <laughs> summer with, you know, down here in Texas, I had an intern one time, and he said, after being here like two weeks and he came in summer when everything's out, he's like, everything here wants to bite me, stab me or stick me or sting me. Right. I was like, it's four things. Like, look, like if you're wearing thin soled shoes, we have oaks. They're not even thorn, but when they fall, the little twigs on them are so sharp that they'll go through a, a like a flip flop. Yeah. Right. There's sand spurs were everywhere until we got, you know, more fertility on the property. Like it, it, it can be rough and it, it is, it is kind of hard. I think one of the biggest things that people can do, though, to avoid failing is to understand what to stop doing very quickly. Like, oh, this is not time for this or this isn't going to work. I know people, for instance, like they're going to get into rabbits and they're not going to do meat rabbits. They're going to breed rabbits. So they're going to sell the rabbits and they have all these rabbits and they have no rabbits for sale because they're not ready to do it yet. And they know they're not ready to do it yet. And they got these expensive rabbits. They're taking care of the rabbits every day and the rabbits are an expense. And it's like, okay, if the rabbits are worth as much as you say they are, and they're kind of getting close to breeding age and all, and you're not ready for them yet, sell the freaking rabbits. Yeah. Get everything else in place and then go back and reconsider adding. Oh, and rabbits are just an example of something yeah. like that. I see people all the time. They're doing 80 things at once. Yes. And they can't actually make any of them work. Do a thing. Get a yeah. system down. If you want to combo, like we said, birds and gardens are great. Oh. Get that down. Understand that. Become good at it. Then add the skill yeah. of starting your own plants instead of buying your plants. Add the skill of composting. Incorporate the birds of the composting. Now you got that. Now you can think about something else. Yeah. And if people do that, and if when they start doing something, if it's not going to be profitable, get rid of it. I mean, you were here and we had, I guess we had like 150 birds when you were here. Yeah. And, but the price of the food went up. My wife started taking care of the grandkids. She wasn't working the sales yeah. channel. When I did the math and we weren't making money, most of the ducks left. Not because yeah. I didn't like ducks anymore, because I'm not in the business of losing money. Mm-mm. On paper, sure. But in reality, I'm not in that business. Yeah. No, you should do that. That's a very good point. Control control yourself, I guess, is the way to look at it. Don't yeah, I would tell people, I tell people, write out the list of the things you want to do. Like, you have these dreams. Let's say it's 10 things. Oh, I want to do, Jack said ducks are cool. Yeah. Uh, Justin said chickens and gardens. We got three. You know, they build up. Oh, I want honey. Oh, I'm supposed to get the honeybee, you know, yeah. uh, for, oh, I need to get some fruit. Write out all of these things. And then, so these are your dream goals and 10, 12 of them. And what's going to happen is you only have so much time, money, and energy. And that's actually a good thing. If you only have an hour a day, you could probably wiggle, cancel your gym membership, get an hour a day, and then maybe a half a day on the weekend. you got 10 hours a week. For chicken and, and eggs, you could grow half or more of your own food on on a quarter of acre or less in just a hundred days and just over the over the summer, like really quick. 
And so you've got this list of all these th- all these dreams, but then then you do have to consider your considerations. Do you have half an hour a day, an hour a day? And then you know what that does? If you'll force yourself to say, what is the most important? What's the most bang for my buck? Even if you're not raising them to sell them, what's the what's the most bang for my buck? Prioritize that list. You want to do all the thing, all of them. Yeah. So you shouldn't have a problem saying being okay with, okay, I know gardens are a fit. You know, I can go to work, leave the garden. I can even go away for the weekend. Uh, chickens are, those two go good together. I'm going to do chickens. Even if you end there and you couldn't tap into your ostriches and your emus, <laughs> your llamas <laughs> on all these other seven things, bees, uh, guess what's going to happen? You know, the 80, 20 rule, Jack, yeah. you're man. Those that 20 percent is going to get you 80 percent of your results. So you need to know your goal. Your If your goal is to grow half of your own food by the end of the summer, you better be putting chickens and gardens up there, up there in that priority list. And, you know, and what I'll what I'll kind of add to that is maybe you'll find something you're awesome at. And, and because you're awesome at it, or your land's perfect for it, that you can produce yeah. more of it than you need. If you're not going to be in the the honey and beeswax and bees business, if you're only doing a few hives for yourself, yeah. how much honey does a family need? Good I'm home. sure there's a beekeeper exactly. who would love, you know, a sack of garlic in return for a couple quarts of honey or exactly. some really great eggs. Or maybe you're a mead maker like I am and you make awesome exactly. mead and yeah. you can tell that beekeeper like, like the guy I've talked about from my hometown in Pennsylvania, Buddy Shoemaker, the winemaker, tell you what, you give me as much meat, honey as you want, and I will make it in meat, and I'll give you half of the meat back. Right? There's always ways that you can pull barter into this because it's – I think what's happened is we've gotten – we're so in a quest to be our ancestors, we've forgotten who they were. Your ancestors didn't do all this shit. They no. did. They were gentlemen farmers. They had a job or a trade, and they had, you know, they grew a, a patch of tobacco or a patch of corn, and they had a couple of livestock here and there, and then they had more than they could use of those things, and then they went to their neighbor and they said, "Hey, what do you have?" And instead of trading silver coins, they traded milk for eggs. Yeah. Right. That was that was how our ancestors lived. We didn't. They didn't ever try to do anything. They built community. I tell people, look at for that reason. I tell people, look at your receipt. What are you spending money on or what do you want to spend money on? Honey ain't anywhere up in there. And, 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 you know, it was, people were going, people were going crazy for like getting off the grid and going off the grid. But if I was coming at it and I was, I was coming at a financial perspective, power bills, a hundred bucks, my food bills, 2000, which, which one do you think I should a month? Which one do you think I should start doing first? It's going to make more sense to start trying to grow your own food and, Honey, I might spend $200 on a year, but I'm spending uh, $10,000 on beef. Which one do you think I should go at first? So look at that receipt. I mean, if you have junk food on there, it's hard to grow Oreos, okay? But it's but it's not <laughs> hard to grow whole foods like meats, uh, vegetables, or fruits. So are you eating a lot of dairy? Uh, let's start going there. That's how I, I say um, – Grow it's close to your heart. You know, where your uh, money is, there your heart is. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. So imagine your money, a little string string around it, wrapped to your heart. Just look where your money's going. Uh, and if you're if you're at peace with that, I mean, you might be spending on money on stuff that, that you're not for or whatever, and you're trying to quit. But if you're enjoying that, then that's that's how you know where your heart is. That's how you know what you should 
focus on, I think, and start going at. That's how you know what to then prioritize on top of that list. Yeah, I completely agree. Do what's easy that's going to offset expense yep. and then and do what's going to offset the greatest expense. Yeah. So, like, both of those rules apply because if it's really easy but it's not that big of an expense offset, yeah. it's still really easy and it's yeah. something. And then if it's – now i got to pick between these two things. Like you said, what's going to do – is putting $30,000 worth of solar panels on my roof going to put an ROI in my pocket before running two door per sheep? And the answer is no, it's not. It's going to take me – yeah. decades to get that 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 money for those solar panels back decades yeah. i do have then i would have off-grid capability and i've got that but i'm buying a capability i'm not getting a direct roi two yeah. door per lambs man you know there's an roi there when i can when i can you know pay for a portion of the labor that my handyman does for me in eggs yeah there's an roi there you know there's it, it's yeah. it there's nothing wrong with seeking the roi and i think it's Really, right. one of the things that can make it worth it. I mean, when you look at all this, it, we, you know, we call today's show the hard truth. Do you feel like it really is worth it for the average person? Um, yeah, I think they. I'm, I'm a big fan of starting small and failing small and answering that for yourself. So I'm not telling you to right away uh, get get out of the, sell your city home and go to the country. No, I'm telling you to first if you're doing nothing. Get a uh, get a container guard like we did on the tour, Jack. We had a a terracotta, five inch terracotta pot, soil in it, and we grew a basil. We grew a basil seed, and we started in, in Iowa, and we ended up harvesting it in in Wyoming, and had basil on our pizza, and had food from the land. Uh, so see, and and that's it too. Like you know, maybe 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 you need to just be more supportive of this thing. Maybe you hate it. Maybe you get that plant. Maybe you try these chickens. And you hate it. And maybe you need to do like Jack's saying and like, like you're saying, Jack, and support the, the, the farmer that is, 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 is going to be better than you, more efficient. And you're good at something. And it, it maybe you said you had a handyman. What if you're a handyman? I mean, what if you started no, no, absolutely. services for this? We're not saying uh, this is all, but you might also, you might also, I would encourage you to uh, try it. What, what's it going to hurt to try it? A pot or, or, or four chickens. It's not going to hurt. You could, you can liquidate them easy or eat them easy enough. Easier than people yeah. think too, man. When, when we decided to get rid of our chickens, we sold our laying birds for $25 a bird. Wow. There's no way a year and a half old sex link, red sex link chicken is worth $25 for meat. Yeah. But somebody that wants to start and they want eggs now, yeah, boom. The guy I got my my newest Muscovies from, I paid twenty for the girls and thirty five for the males. And he said the only reason I sold you for the males for thirty five is because you bought so many. I'm like, what do you usually sell them for? He's like forty five dollars. Yeah, and I'm like, who the hell pays forty five dollars for a male Muscovy? He's like Laotians. This was a Mexican dude, right? He's like Laotians. I'm like, what? He goes, I'm in an old school neighborhood here. That's why nobody bothers me. He had like about a half acre that he had the birds on. And he's like, we have a lot of minority communities and we have a Laotian community and they want a big bird for family meals. I'm like, so they buy it for meat. He's like, yeah. I'm like, do you, do you process? He's like, hell no. They come and they bring a box or a cage and they get the bird and they take it home and they do all the work. He sells them for 45 bucks a piece. Now he's not going to sell a thousand. No, but he can sell, you know, five or six a month all year round. Yeah. And, and there these feed costs are gone. You know, it's, it, there's always ways 
And yeah. you said you're a handyman and you know that guy, hey, you know, maybe he needs some stuff done. I've hired people to do stuff I could do all the time. Yeah, do you know too. why? My time's better spent doing this. Yes. Yeah. Back to ROI. So I'll hire that guy. If that guy wants to get paid in, you know, I, I talked to somebody recently that was talking about getting into Muscovies, and I'm like, I don't have any now. I just, you know, re-upped my genetics. But by the by the end of summer, I'm going to have more than I want to process for myself. And yeah. if they want to barter, I'll barter. Maybe they don't. Maybe they want to eat them. Maybe they don't want them for uh, a flock bird. But you know, I'm like, I know a processor you can take them to. They process them for eight bucks a piece. It's really cheap compared to processing ducks and chickens. Is totally different, right? It's a lot more work. The feathers are harder to get off. Yeah. There's always some way to make it worth it. That's right. You know, maybe you're maybe you're good at wood turning and you're doing crafts, but then you use the money you earn from your little wood shop to to buy from local producers. You know. Or yeah, to barter people, with local producers. People get if if that's their problem, they're scared to get in. Like they need to think about well, what's the worst that's gonna happen? They need to think through that, and that can help them overcome the fear. I also think uh, probably a lot of your listeners are more are you probably got a lot of experienced people in the audience too. But uh, so I would encourage them to always question. Even, even this year, uh, we've we've been growing uh, ducks for meat, pecans, and. Uh, geese. We, we've been doing the Christmas goose for the last couple of years. But as we make our hatchery order, I said, Rebecca, we still into, we still into geese. And she's kind of like, eh, you know, we kind of, we kind of had fun. Maybe I'd like to eat a boar's head, uh, next Christmas, you know, or eat, or yeah. peak. And that needs to be okay. Yeah. And, 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 and don't feel like, oh, cause you once were into something that you have to continue you have that. To stay there. Yeah. Don't do that. Like grain journey too, where we're trying to eliminate the grain. And eat more things. And I'm getting excited about beef. There's a lot of beef recipes. There's not a whole lot of duck recipes. We were doing ducks. I'm kind of tired of duck tacos. And uh, <laughs> share something more with me about. But but the pecans, you know, after talking with you, I need to keep that journey alive in my heart and open yeah. mind because it might be that hey, maybe I don't get pecan. Maybe I get some muscovy and try not feeding them any grain at all and yeah. just four or five. And yeah. then I'm the duck Just once clip their wings, dude. They're yeah. not like regular domestic ducks. They they go where they yeah. want, including on your roof or on your pergola over your pool. Okay. And then they do what ducks do, or they fly into your pool. You got to clip the wings on scubbies yeah. and be careful of the claws, man. They got claws like hot. <laughs> they don't come after you with them, but when you pick them up, man, it's it's on. They're yeah. But check this out. You see the comment there from Tiger Lily? Let's do it. She's Why getting fifty dollars each. For laying hens and laying ducks. So birds are already laying. She's got $50 a bird. Wow. That's insane. And yeah, you're not going to sell a thousand, but you don't need to. Hell, I sell goldfish, dude, once in a while. I'll sell a, a really pretty looking nine cent goldfish that grew up to about this big. You put it on Craigslist as an Asian heirloom carp. And some yuppie that has a water garden will pay 50 bucks for it. Right? There's the food for that fish pond for a year. Nice. It's it, it. There's always creative ways. So I want maybe answer some questions, yeah. but I also want before we do that, and I don't know how much time you have, but I this go. book here, The Rooted Life. Tell people about this book and why you wrote this book. Well, I wrote that book like what we talked about in the beginning. Uh, I found this lifestyle to be just just so fulfilling, and I really think there is something to be said about completing your joy when you can share something you enjoy with others. If you ever watch a funny movie. Or whatever you, uh, you when you laugh, notice what happens. You look and you look at the other person, 
and you you laugh together. You want to look and laugh together. And so that's what I'm doing. And I've done it traditionally through YouTube videos and then my member area, Abundance Plus. But then now a book, uh, Jack, because you know books. I, as a filmmaker, I used to prize and sell DVDs. Where are DVDs? They're gone. But I think <laughs> books are are here to stay and books are off grid. And if, if we had an internet shortage or somebody took over it or whatever, we still are, we still got our books. And I think they're, and I'm a voracious reader. I probably read a book every two weeks, all kinds of books. And that, that is why I also have, when I first started 15 years ago, uh, we, we turned to the books. And for us, for gardening and chickens, it was Joel Salatin's Pasture Poultry Prophet, Elliot Coleman's New Organic Grower, and uh, Harvey Ustry's Small Small Scale Small Scale Poultry Flock. Great books. Oh, and Bill Mollison's Intro to Permaculture. So that's a stack of books about this tall. Yeah. And I read them all, and it's all great, and I recommend them all. But if you if you're just getting go, going, or you just want to, I think you'll enjoy it, Jack. Even I mean, oh, I have been. I was going to say, like, there's two reasons <laughs> to get this. One, it's inspirational and educational. Yeah. The other is this is a freaking coffee table book, folks. Yes. The the pictures, the illustrations. This is something that your your normie friends will pick up and look through, Normal. and they may even ask you, "Do you really do this? Can can this really be done? Can people yeah. actually do this?" It, 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 it's, it's very well done, Justin. Yeah, it really so is. 15 years plus a stack of books and said, let's get it down to something you can read. The Audible is like, the Audible version uh, is like four hours and 15 minutes. So theoretically, you could read that book in one evening and be ready to go. And, and, and you've cons I've consolidated and straight to the point in, in six of the chapters. And the other chapters is a lot of fun and lifestyle stuff. And yeah, and you're, you're going to enjoy the pictures. Those pictures, I don't think I've said this anywhere. Uh, once a month for 12 months, we took photo shoots. So that's the Rhodes family farm in a year. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, you guys did a great job with that. People really do need to check out your, if they haven't seen your YouTube channel, like <laughs> the amount of content on there and the interviews with some really switched on people. And what I love about that, it lets you do, I, I consider myself like a practicer of Jeet Kune Do homesteading. Like Bruce Lee, take what you want and leave everything else behind. Like I'll, I, you know, I go look at something like what Seth Holzer does and I'm like, I'm not going to do a hundred acres in the Alpine mountains. It's yeah. not going to happen, but I can take little pieces that I yeah. learned from a Seth Holzer or a Joel Salatin or a Greg Judy or a Justin Rhodes or a Ben Falk. And you did a great job of getting that information together. Let's do a little kind of lightning round here on and answering some of this. Uh, this wasn't really a question, but I, I think it's a good point. Uh, Margaret Oliver is basically saying about how cheap seeds are that she can get cheap seeds sometimes that are old for next to nothing, and you still get some germination. I've I've yeah, seen people yeah. post pictures. They go to Walmart and there's like all the seeds at the end of the season, and they'll get like a bag of seeds for five bucks because they got to get rid of them. Yeah. Um, what do you think about this? Ron says, what about selling shares for meat production on larger animals? So if you want to market and share, but you don't want to go USDA route where you have to do it for individual cuts. So, you know, you can sell, I don't know, third shares in a beef or half shares in a beef. Or yeah. Jack, Jack also spoke earlier about harvesting that deer and the police officer helping you get in it. I mean, sometimes you got to do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but if it, it doesn't agree with the law. 
Yeah, um, uh, yeah, definitely. And I, I think like this is actually not that hard. When I buy my half share of beef, I don't touch that cow, but yet they're not doing USDA. So we have a state-approved slaughterhouse and processor that, that I use for other things, same one that my beef guy uses, and he basically takes the, the cow down there. And he can sell it in quarters. So there could be four of us. It's usually two with me. And they'll call me up after they've, they've processed it and they've let it hang and gave it its hang time. And they'll say, uh, Mr. Spirico, how do you want your half processed? We'll go through all the cuts and everything. And then I go pick it up and I sign for it as the owner of that part of the cow. So you can do it. You don't even have to really break the law. You just have to understand it and, and do what I call status jujitsu, right? You have to like use the law to your, your favor. I think that's something more people should do. This one's directly for you from GK Farms. Do you recede your pasture when you started or return from uh, TGAP? No, man, I just got the cows on it. One thing I, I do do that's interesting is we are clearing some forests. Joel Salatin will say he, he clears his forest. He's uh, foresting his pastures, pasturing his forest. I'm doing the same thing. We'll, 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 we'll run pigs in there and they help break out the underbrush. Well, first we'd run cows in there and then sheep and then pigs. And the pigs also dig. They, they dig with their snout. And what we will do is go into an, because it's not grass, but there is a seed bank there. There's seed that has been there hundreds of years that the pigs have stirred up and now it can get air and water and it grows. But we'll, we'll speed that process up when we're going into new ground like that. We'll throw, we'll go to pasture seed. I think it's pasture, uh, nature seed or something.com. You can mm -hmm. get like, uh, seeds according to your region and according to what you're trying to grow. And uh, we'll get the dairy cow mix for the southeast. I'm in North Carolina, and we'll 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 cast that, and then put down some organic straw or some unsprayed hay, and that just speeds up what nature's trying to do already. Do already, yeah. There is a seed bank that people don't realize. Like I remember yeah. one of Jeff's lessons, Lawton's lessons. He was talking about how you can take a square foot of ground and burn it, take another square foot of ground and compact it, take another square foot of ground and loosen it up all within a couple feet of each other and you'll get different triggered germination, which means yeah. those, like, you don't put any seed down and you'll get different plants because loose ground, compacted ground yep. uh, and burned ground are all different germination triggers. And so animal activity right. causes a lot of germination. I know Joel Salton, the pasture has is amazing. He said he never put a seed down. Alan Savory goes into places. There's no grass. There's no yeah. nothing. There, there's like, you barely, yeah. like, there's one leaf for the cow to eat. He runs the cattle anyway. And all of a sudden, Stuff starts growing. So I think helping it, though, I'm a fan of doing what you do. I like helping it along. Small amount of seed behind activity. It's like work with nature, but give nature more to work with, yeah. I guess. Um, what's Justin's view on treating sheep for parasites? Uh, Greg had some pretty interesting thoughts on this, I know. <laughs> well, that's why I got on a waiting list uh, for Greg's sheep, because I had some sheep die of parasites. And... Uh, we're not, we don't want to treat it. I mean, we're like, uh, you know, Greg doesn't want, Greg won't from a financial point just because it just makes sense to have hardier sheep. So we got on the wait list because we don't want to put the chemical or herbal for that matter into the sheep. We just want hardy sheep. And then my view also is intensive management, not intensive healthcare. So in the winter, my sheep are on deep bedding and that's getting refreshed and the, and the hay is off their bedding. 
so there's not that parasite pressure. But in or in in so animals need to be either on deep bedding if they're staying still or moving regularly. Mm-hmm. And that can be more intense, but we don't have the the healthcare issue. So good stock the way you want to raise them. Uh, we didn't want to shoot them up with parasites, vaccine, parasite meds, vaccines, whatever, organic or not, chemical or not. Uh, we just want a good hardy and we'll, we'll do the hard thing. You know, Greg put in the work of just letting nature, the strong survive. And now we'll honor that too here. We have one, we have a mom that, uh, second, second year, she abandoned her baby. And sure, we, as a homestead, Greg, Greg would never milk a, milk and land yeah bottle feed a baby we will because we we're counting on that five or six offspring to to give us our 250 pounds of lamb we need sure we'll bottle feed it but you better believe we're calling that mother where we're also eating her and we're certainly breeding her offspring breeding the fed baby never so that line will end. And what's she trying to do? She's ending her line. Like the, people think she's being cruel. Oh, she's a bad mother. She's being cruel. Actually, I think she's picking up on weakness in her line and she's doing a favor for her entire species because she's making her species strong by abandoning that baby. Something yeah. is probably wrong with that baby or, or somehow she senses something's wrong with her. Yeah. And she's ending her line herself. So yeah, and there may be just something wrong with the baby that she wasn't going to be able to get. It might even be worth letting that sheep have another shot at it before you call her it, because it might be just that one offspring. You don't know, yes, but you have to make it. We didn't do it last year. That's yeah. here. Second strike. You're out. Oh, no, you're done. Done. We two strikes. Never, you're out. There's no three yeah. strikes. In, in, and we no. would have never sold her offspring. Yeah. Or bred it. Yeah. No matter what, even keeping her because there was another one that we had. We actually, the first time we had to pull the, we had to pull the baby. Greg's never going to pull a baby. That that mama would have died. I honor that. I respect that. We pull it because we need we need that meat. Yeah. And this next time, she was just fine. It may never happen again. But even even because we had to pull that baby and she didn't have that baby completely natural on her own, we won't sell her offspring. We won't breed her offspring. But we will keep giving her more chances because we've decided in our hearts we're willing to make that much trouble for ours. It's worth it to us. My daughter gets to feed that lamb. Uh, once, two, three, she, my daughter gets a three, uh, an everyday struggle. She has, she has to go out there and, and, and milk that lamb. She enjoys it sometimes, but most of the time, God, Jack, that's the thing you do. Three time, three time a day job for a 10 year old. Yeah. She is have more character than most people we know because she's had to do hard things every day. Yeah, everything becomes work when it has to be done all the time. All right? and, and she's learning that. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I would say there's people that think, like, you just can't do that with sheep, that you have to worm them, whatever. And I say those people need to go to South Texas. We have all these exact exotic sheep, Corsican rams and uh, yeah. other types of, of sheep. They run around in the wild. No one takes care of yeah. them. No one feeds them. And it, it actually might be a place that for people to start looking at getting genetics Honestly, because nature's done what Greg's done down there, right? Like these, you know, they're maybe not the best meat lambs, though. But it's just a point, like, clearly sheep can live they can. without people worming them. I haven't wormed these guys ever. Yeah, or they wouldn't be there, right? Program. Greg Judy has an intense mineral program, and so do we, 16 Yeah. Years, including copper, which can be controversial for sheep. But we, Ron, we them, go ahead, I'm sorry. We let them them have at it. Uh yeah, free choice copper. I mean, you don't want to stick it into a, a salt lick and they're trying to get another mineral 
I got overdose on on another mineral. You see, you so it's like they know what they need. Yeah, they do know what they need. They don't they have to. They, they they're in tune with their body, and that's all they that's all they have to do to, all day is eat and figure out what the, and and be in tune with what they need. Ron says, "What about growing for bartering?" Unless you have something to add, I think we we hit that pretty pretty yeah, solid. Yeah, uh, Susan says, "Do you find electric netting being good predator deterrent?" Uh, I, I think it's great. I mean, uh, we do a guard geese, a guard goose for our chickens, and then we do electric net. That electric net is is getting most ground predators, and the the guard goose is getting the aerial predators for us, the hawks and the owls, and that's 99% of your problem. And, and if you shut the birds up at night, that's 99% of your problems solved. Okay. Can chickens help with bugs? I think that's a, it depends. They, they're not going to hurt, but <laughs> I think that maybe the value of a chicken for insect control, especially flies and stuff like that might be a little bit overstated. So like fruit flies and all. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, another one on sheep. So we covered that. You're, you flick off bugs off your garden and throw them into the chickens. Yeah, then then you got something. They won't eat squash bugs, and if they do, they'll do it once. Um, <laughs> I, I I grabbed a leaf off a squash plant, had a bunch of squash bugs on it, and I threw it over the fence to the chickens. And a bunch of them looked at it. They all looked at it like I I don't I don't know what the hell that is. Like some about it told them it was bad, and one decided it was going to eat it. And it ran away, and it was making chicken sounds, but it literally sounded like no, 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 God, no! Like it was like it was a it must burn or something. I felt bad. In Swiss um, Family Robinson, I know it's a fictional story, but they would throw food that they didn't know was safe. If it was safe or not, they throw it to chickens and the monkeys. If the chickens and the monkeys would eat it, well, then yeah. it's safe. No, it's safe for them to eat. What is a better breed of uh, chicken for egg production, insect control? I think that's we kind of hit on the insect control. They do what they do, and they all eat bugs. Um, I think with egg production, like birds tend to be meat birds and egg birds, and you have dual purpose birds. And if yeah. it's dual purpose, it doesn't really excel at either. And if you just want eggs, I mean, it's hard to me. I don't know how you feel, but like it's really hard to beat like your your production reds and things like that. Yeah. I, uh, red stars, black stars, these, yeah. these birds that are hybrids that have been bred to produce eggs. If that's really what you want, it's hard to beat that. I, I, I run some, I, I'm running those because it's super high efficiency. Gotcha. Did Rebecca have the same homesteading goals when y'all first started or was there any reluctant spouse syndrome there? Oh, that's good. Cause it goes the other way. This was all Rebecca's idea. Ah. <laughs> I mean, besides, you know, she's getting into the health thing. When we really got intense with the gardening, I mean, we, we spoke like we started gardening some, but when we really got, she had the idea, let's, let's just go all out and do a market farm. And so she, yeah, I'm reluctant. I'm like, good luck, good luck, do that. I'm kind of running a camp thing and, and doing, doing it my own thing. And then she got pregnant and got really sick. And then I had to follow through for all these customers she had gained. And so I had to follow through with these vegetables and, and got on board. But I know what you're asking. You're, you, you might want to get a spouse on board. And I talk about that in the book. And one thing I say, and it's probably not the answer you want to hear. I'll say to you, if you want to get your spouse on board, sometimes I'll say, I'll say, don't. And let's start there because let's be aware that they, that you were not on this journey probably when you met. Yeah. You got to be really sensitive. You're about the one that changed, right? <laughs> You're the one that's changing, right, Jack? And they, who knows? They might be into Monday night football. 
And so yeah. I think you need to start and they might be on on some forum saying, how do I get my spouse excited about the games? Yeah. So maybe maybe you need to sit down with them at Monday night football. Now, now maybe uh, in uh, at the commercials or something, maybe, maybe you can jot your little plan. Do, do what you can within the perimeters of that relationship, because I think relationships are more important. I agree. Uh, so, and they're right. Uh, homesteading. Uh, we don't serve homesteading. Homesteading serves us. And you could say this about permaculture, survivalism, whatever. It 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 needs to be for our benefit. Diets. If you go on the whole thirty, you know, and, and for you to sustain on that, if you need to cheat a little, then cheat. You know, if you're on the carnivore diet, we've talked about that. Then cheat a little bit because it should serve you. You shouldn't serve it. And so same thing with your relationship. Just do what you can on your own within the perimeters, share the food, encourage them to come, maybe bribe them, cook them amazing things. Uh, do what you can within the perimeters of that relationship. And it, it's, there's no harm in trying to share your joy with them and saying, Hey, you want to come see the, see the garden? But to expect this overall change, you might look and say, well, maybe how, how can I change? We can't change other people. We can only look at ourselves and say, how can I change? Well, and you mentioned hobbies. So I would also kind of look at it like when you get started, you're not going to go do a 100-acre cattle ranch, right? You're yeah. going to start small, a garden, a couple chickens, whatever. All you need from them is their blessing to let you do it. Yeah. You don't need to drag them into it. And if you decided you were going to get into RC cars. Yeah. You wouldn't try to drag your wife into that. Or if you're the, the female in relationship, I'm trying to be gender stereotypes, but let's say you're going to get into knitting. Yeah. Like you might want your husband to wear the shawl you or the, what do you call it, the scarf you made or something. Yeah. But you're not going to try to make him knit. That's your thing you're going to do. And then they may or may not be attracted to certain parts of it with you. Yeah. My wife is not into this like me. But she likes pieces of it, and the parts she chooses to be in, in, in involved with, she likes to. T she takes care of the eggs. Yeah. We have some small egg customers and stuff like that. Now that we have a smaller flock, which she involves the grandkids. You know, if I'm out there really working, she'll bring me a beer. Yeah. What more can you? I'm, I was out there on Monday shoveling four yards of deep litter out of that thing, and she came out with my granddaughter and brought me an ice cold beer. I don't need any more than that, and I think yeah, being at peace with. A blessing versus involvement is fine. That's that's support, if you ever ask me. And they, yeah. they might need to see the support, and maybe maybe she's not bringing you a beer. Maybe she's giving you her knitted scarf. You need yeah. to see that 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 that's her actually supporting you and what yep. you're doing. You just may not be recognizing that. This one, what birds can help with tick control? Only thing I've ever heard is guineas, but I've never raised them. The way turkeys are, I can't believe that anything survives. Their eyesight. We have these things. They're not a bug, but it's a seed. That they, I don't know what they really are. They call them beggars lice. They're horrible. They get in your socks, and you can't you can't wash them out. You can't you can't you pull them out. Strings come with them. And when I had my my I had a flock of uh, broad-breasted bronze for meat a few years, and I would get those on my socks, and they would come over when they were like half-grown poults, and I'd pull my pant leg up, and they would just pick every single seed off the sock. Um, and I'm thinking if they can pick that little seed off that sock without right. pulling string, I can't see a tick doing very well. But I've never had a tick problem. Yeah. You? Any well, idea on that? Uh, I've got Lyme disease, so I have a big tick problem. But okay. we have ticks everywhere. I just pulled a tick off of me in February. I felt sorry for the tick because now it has definitely has Lyme disease. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, so we we concern and so we try guineas i mean i will speak to guineas. people want to say guineas will go eat ticks actually 
guineas are very hard to train to come back to one spot. Okay. And actually, once they do, it, once they do, they don't end up roaming. They end up wanting to get back with the chickens. Yeah. And then they get with the chickens. They just chase chase the chickens all day. I end up calling these things guinea clowns. I mean, they're very yeah very hard and difficult. There's no that there's no utopia. But now that I am running uh, cows, sheep, and then chickens on my entire farm, even yards, we we graze through our yards. Yeah. I think that's going to help. I mean, they're, but it, it's more like, really, I mean, just check yourself every night. I mean, yeah. I, I understand you got to have that tick on you for 24 hours before you're getting Lyme disease. So sometimes the easy, you, you know, we want to, we want to do this permaculture thing and have, have the plants and animals do the work, but sometimes it's just easier to look over your body every night, <laughs> get you a tick key and, and pull that tick off. Yeah, we don't really have a, a ton of problem here. And when I lived in Arkansas, we did. We had a lot more like you'd literally take the dog for a walk and feel them drop on you out of the trees and shit. Like, yeah, uh, here we just don't really have much problems. I don't have a lot of experience with it. Uh, Anarchy says, what about fish farming? Because that compete with animals for protein production and profit. I don't think you've really delved into that much. I have like small garden ponds here. Like my biggest pond is like 4,500 gallons. For a family, you can raise catfish, you can raise native catfish, you can raise panfish, and you can easily feed, I, I can say from experience, you can easily feed yourself a meal a week once you get established, but you're not going to be real profitable at that scale. The easiest thing you can do for meat production, if you have the space and the land, is put in ponds that are big enough to be self-supporting that don't need a lot of pump action or something like that. Throw a freaking deer feeder with a deflector on it full of freaking catfish feed, and you literally don't have to do anything. Like you don't have to do nothing and your ducks can use that water and all. And, and it's, it's, it's the easiest meat production I think you can get. And if you can build a full ecosystem where they're getting, you know, eating minnows and stuff like that. But I think fish farming for profit is a very specialized business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any, anything you want to add to that one? Fish. um, One of my early permaculture teachers taught me fish don't have to deal with gravity. So they don't have to exactly calories standing up. So they, they can be efficient. I know nothing about trying to turn them into a profit. I'll, I'll actually announce today. I am right now building the syllabus for a backyard aquaculture course that I'm going to be putting out. And uh, it's good, but it's going to be geared toward producing for you and selling just enough to pay for feed and things like that. Things like selling, That's you know, cool. fish to yuppies. And <laughs> selling aquatic plants because they sell for a lot of money. Aquatic plants sell for a ton of money. There's so many garden, uh, garden pond, like enthusiasts out there and stuff like that. Um, KJ Ford, not really a question, just made a statement. I guess it's when we're talking about meat and the cows, food yeah. independence is freedom, therefore a threat. I agree. I think that is the, like why we are not just villainized, but also kind of made to be crazies. You know, like he's the Justin Rhodes. He's a hermit. He lives with his chickens in the middle of the woods. And, you know, like, like he's crazy or something like because it, it goes back to the, the relationship that I've talked about with the Native Americans and the buffalo. Some of the uh, comments that came from military uh, officers that were charged with eradicating them from the land were, you know, things I think Custer said something to never have a people live that were this free. Mm. And it's because they, they didn't like you, we, we couldn't offer them anything. What can you offer a person that knows my son will do as well as me or better, and my children will never be hungry. What can, yeah. and, and I love my life as it is. What can you offer that person to pull them out of that life? Nothing. But as soon as they their food security goes away, 
Now you have control. And if you look at the history of colonialism and ongoing government control, like in places like Africa and all, food security is the number one leverage point that they use. Yeah. You nailed it. Any recommendation for books for the history of homesteading? I would recommend The Rooted Life by Justin Rhodes. Let's say you, Justin. <laughs> history of homesteading. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, homesteading, that that term was from when, wasn't it from when you could, the government was giving land if you just yeah. went and claimed it. I mean, it's no longer that. So uh, you, you you could study that, I imagine. Now it's turned into, you know, if, if you're reading my book, it's going to, homesteading can be a basil plant in your windowsill. I, I don't remember if I'm, saying, if I'm if I'm giving the right name of the series. Is it the Firefly series, or there's a whole series Fox of Fire. books. Foxfire, Foxfire. That series would be great to build a library on. I, I couldn't remember it. I have the whole series upstairs in my library. Um, that, that's really um, very eye-opening because it goes through so many of the skills and yeah, there's like 22 books in it. Mm. I think it was published, I published in the seventies. Maybe it is Foxfire. It's just not coming up on the Google. Yeah, I think it is. We'll worry about it later. Someone will tell us if we're wrong. Someone will tell us if you're getting the same book. They they teach these old time survival skills, uh, but not necessarily in like a step one, step two. It's more of a like, an, like if you sit down with an old timer and he's telling you how to make soap from yeah. lard. Yeah. Yeah. I think like listening to like the yes, little bit of archiving that's been, yeah, it's Foxfire. Uh, that's 12 book series. Um, Wigginton. Wigginton. Like the interviews, like there's some interviews out there still where people, when YouTube started, cause there's not very many people left like this, but that lived through the depression and interviewing them about how they lived and how they cooked and how they survived. I think that's really interesting too. Um, Derek says the Yellowstone quote about killing everything was originally from Ted Nugent. I can neither confirm nor deny that. Sounds probable. Uh, NN Averts says cattle need a lot of water. He didn't mean it environmentally because I challenged him on that. He just meant that if you do not have water set up for your cattle at certain seasons, it's a pain in the ass. But I think there's real easy ways to handle that. I mean, how do you handle water needs? Well, it depends on where you're from. I'm thinking, I think, Cattle need very little water because they only need 15 gallons a day. But that's because I'm east of the Mississippi and rain magically falls from the sky. I mean, that's something I came to appreciate traveling America yeah. is rain. I mean, when I went out west, uh, way out of my norm, I mean, my family has been in North Carolina nine generations. So I'm deeply rooted here. It, it, it feels not right to me. I mean, uh, there's plenty of people making a, making a go there and, and making it happen. But I was so happy when we got to Hawaii because we flew to Hawaii to document that. And I had that humidity back. I felt like I could breathe. And, you know, people out west come here and they feel like they're suffocating in the humidity. But I appreciate that moisture and being back here. You know, we're dealing with too much water. We're talking about how to not necessarily swells, but maybe swells on 1% contour to, to actually – Move, move the water out of here slowly. Yeah. Maybe not as fast as it's going away now, but move it out of here instead of capturing every last drop. So think about it. 15 gallons a day. I, I walked up the hill and found a spring that gives you, it's a quarter of a, a gallon a minute. So I, I forget the math on that, but it's hundred, it's 500 something gallons a day. Well, at 15, 
15 gallons a day for a cow, that's a, you could do a lot of cow. That's more cows than I have pasture. Yeah. So I think relatively speaking, uh, 15 cows isn't that crazy if, if you have rain. So. Yeah, I, I would agree. And you know, what we do here a lot is almost everybody here that's in this game has a well and they plumb water to stock tanks with flow, flow Yes, I'm in a well right now. I'm yeah, just looking I mean, at redundancy and trying you know, to find springs and maybe think about putting yeah. in ponds. I can have some redundancy. I'm an electric powered well right now. Awesome. It's no big deal to get 15 gallons of cow out of that for that. I think it's like asking me. I want to keep rolling for you because I've got you almost two hours. Um, K-Bonk said, what would be the first three things you would try? I would say some sort of small livestock, birds, ducks or chickens, a garden, and then pick a skill set that goes with gardening, composting or plant starting. What would you say to that? Um, yeah, I would start gardens, uh, meat chickens, and egg-laying chickens. Okay. Okay. This one is really maybe not – meant for us the way that it, it, it it's coming across because how do you advertise you know i am a small-scale homesteader and a podcaster you're a content creator most of what you do is for yourself so we don't really advertise to sell product i've done really well selling duck eggs by advertising on craigslist which is free and through basic search engine optimization do you do anything to sell product i yeah i look at you know i started this as this is a business. This has been a business for me all along. I would encourage somebody like him, no matter what you're doing, uh, start creating content around what you're doing. Yeah. Do you like videos? Do you like to speak and ch- interview podcasts? Do you like to take pictures and write beautiful things? Instagram, uh, the start creating content and you build these followings and then you, you see a need there and you can work to meet that need and, and sell that need. Like you just spoke about a, a, a course you're coming up where you've seen this need. You will, you probably have some sort of passion into this aquaponics thing, but you also are seeing a need in your audience. Mm-hmm. And eventually, uh, you're teasing this and eventually, uh, it will be available. Yeah. And this isn't like advertise, like pay for an ad in a magazine, but this yeah. is building up an audience, finding a need and then serving that. Yeah. And, and a trade money for knowledge know-how yeah and it's exactly what you said like it's one i see that there's not enough information on this there's tons of aquaponics but true aquaculture at a backyard scale there's really nothing i've given away almost everything i know for free but it's all disjointed and then you explain something and then somebody has five questions that you know you just answered and there needs to be kind of an academic path through it so that i can have it all in one place and if i have to charge a couple hundred three hundred dollars for it if you don't want it, I mean, you can go piece it together or you can get it in the consolidated package. Okay. And, I, and and having an audience in a, a podcast of my size, I can sell that product. I don't even have to worry about advertising. Yeah. The content creation yeah. is the advertising. The last one here, somebody mentioned turkeys. And there were a lot of people mentioned turkeys when we were talking about meat. We didn't really go into it. I love turkeys. I, I've done the broad-breasted bronze. The one year I did them, I kept three, and I put 85 pounds of meat, boned meat. Yeah in the freezer from three turkeys and then plus the cores for stock stock and all. But I sold the most, most of them. And what I did with those is I said on there, just, I didn't put it out on Craigslist. I didn't put it out on next door. I just said on air, I don't get some local people. I know there's plenty of y'all around here. I'm doing turkeys. They'll be ready a couple weeks before Thanksgiving. They're going to average dressed yeah. weight between 30 and 50 pounds. You come here, you take it, you either process it or take it to a processor 
Then on your honor, pay me on the meat weight. And I came up with a price per pound. Sold every one of them. I had them gone in two weeks after I put that out. You know, and so content creation to me is the most powerful form of marketing. Yeah. And video and audio, I think, are your real wins. Because even though we're doing this video, there's people right now, they'll check in at the video. There's a lot of them just listening. Yeah, we right? are. Not just the, the podcast audience, but even the video, they're just listening. And because audio is the one you can really multitask with. I guess you can read okay. in the bathroom in the morning, right? Yeah. But if you're actually out jogging or you're doing work and your work is kind of mindless or something, you can listen. And to me, it, it, as long as you've got it's, – if it's audio alone or audio video, you have that ability for a person to – consume your content and then form a relationship with you. And then you don't really have to advertise at that point. I used to run a punch press and I was listening to you all the time. I was consuming the particularly the business podcast. I was back in the day with permaculture voices. Remember that? I I heard Greg Judy on that for the first time. And uh, speaking of turkeys, we'll grow 20 a year so that we can have one a month. Like why you got to eat turkey? One time a year, I mean, as, car, as as people eat a lot of meat, let's mix it up. We, let's eat turkey once a month, and we have some to give away, uh, trade or sell. Love it. It's, it's yeah, good and the broad breasted. If you've ever done them, they're. Oh. Oh. We did one year. We did a breast and a thigh for the family Thanksgiving. That was it. A half a breast. Yeah. It was the the breast cutlet was nine and a half pounds. Just one half of a breast boneless, nine and a half pounds. It's like a brisket, right? So then, yeah, you're not eating that. Like people, when I when I was doing, I was like, I said, if you think you're gonna put a whole bird on the, um, the the table, like the you know, like the the Griswold family Christmas or whatever, don't, because you're not gonna fit the bird in the oven. The, the <laughs> amount of meat yield is insane. We had, to cut, we had to cut one in half once just to get them in the bag, get them in yeah. the turkey bag. Yeah, I have a 22-inch commercial vac sealer, and I'm like, this isn't going to work. Like, <laughs> I can't fit the bird in there. Yeah. Dude, again, let people know how they can find you, and I'll pitch your book for you again. It's The Rooted Life by Justin Rhodes. Uh, where's the best place for them to get this to support you? Is it yeah, Amazon, or should they buy it direct? Or? Well, they're here live. The people here live, I don't know when your audio version comes out, but if you go in by March 7th, you can get all kinds of bonuses if you go to therootedlife.com. We got all kinds of bonus, science edition, seeds, uh, video content. And then, of course, you can find me on YouTube at Justin Rhodes and my streaming platform, Abundance Plus. And we'll make sure that those are available in the show notes as far as when this is going to go out, about an hour from right now. So I'm going to eat lunch, wow. edit it in, and the audio version. Yeah, every day, Justin, we do a show, and it goes out the same day. So. Hey, you're, you're, you're. And you're going long here. This is long for you, isn't it? Two hours. This is long, but it's you, so it's okay. Uh, we're usually at an hour 15 with an interview at the most. Um, Adam, we, we did Adam Curry recently. We went like two hours and 20 minutes with Adam, two hours with you. Um, it's usually not this long, though. But this was a great – I mean, there's constant interaction with the audience. For those listening to this, if you've never made it into a live stream, remember, get by the survivalpodcast.com. Uh, click on the Get Social tab best way get on the telegram announcement channel because you'll get a direct text about an hour and a half to two hours before every day. And that way you won't forget. And you can always find out the next coming live stream at tspclive.com. Justin, thank you for being with us yes, today. Yes. I had a great time with you. Yes, you too. We have to do this more often. Let's Absolutely. Wait. Anytime you want, bro. <laughs>
Great talk, and I'll talk and I'll wrap it up quick because we did go so long. Just want to remind you, uh, I mentioned in the beginning we are doing a sale on MSB, thirty-five bucks a year. That is a steal for the value of the MSB. The other way you can help support us is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. If you start your shopping there, no matter what you buy, you'll help us out. You're probably going to buy something online today, this week, this month. Just go to tspaz.com before you do. That's all you have to do. Uh, item of the day today, though, we've talked about a lot about growing food today. If I made a list of survival crops, like, like things that you can grow in the ground that are things you can rely on, that are calorie crops that will be there if you need them, and I was going to put 10 items on it, I would have to do some thinking to fill the list out, but I'm going to tell you one that would get on there. Jerusalem artichokes. They're one of the most reliable, disease-resistant, climate-resistant They're an annual, but they act like a perennial because they regrow every year from the nodules left in the ground. They're amazing. I planted four of them the first year I was here on the homestead. Somebody sent me four of them. So I cut them in pieces and plant them. And, and from the four, I ended up filling something like four or five five-gallon buckets. And there was still enough left in the ground to regrow on their own the, the following year. That's, that is how reliable they are. It's amazing how much food they produce. You can get them in a lot of different places, but there's a, a, a third-party seller on Amazon called Yum Heart Gardens, and you can get a pound of them for nine bucks, and then it's about seven bucks in shipping. You know, in this episode, we talked about being an entrepreneur and a small business, and if you want to do business with small business, you know, you have to understand that they have costs associated with shipping, and so it's about 17 bucks for a pound. If you don't need a pound, go ahead and try some and eat them right away and plant the other ones, or give some away. It's totally worth supporting these guys. I've been recommending this source of Jerusalem artichokes for, for planting this time of year since 2017. I've never had a complaint, except for one. If you want to know what the complaint was, read the write-up, and you'll see that it wasn't really a reasonable complaint. It certainly wasn't because they sent poor quality product or because they didn't deliver what was promised. Uh, but I really recommend you consider growing Jerusalem artichokes. It is, again, one of those crops that you know you can rely on. And it, it, you know, maybe you shouldn't be eating pounds and pounds and pounds of them if you're living the keto life or whatever, but definitely uh, less disruptive in that way than, than something like potato, and you know they're going to be there. They're, they're virtually disease-free. With that, I will wrap up. I want to remind you guys that uh, we do have an expert counsel show coming tomorrow, so there will not be a live stream tomorrow. I'm not going to live stream my segment tomorrow, but the next time I'll be back on a live stream will be Friday. I'll be doing an Outback with Jack episode. I'm sure there'll be more to talk about about Ukraine. We'll talk about the potato salad and Chiefs, State of the Union dress a little bit. But more we're going to go and do like we did last Friday, where we're going to talk about the things you guys want to talk about. I'll be putting out a post either today or tomorrow on social media saying, what do you want to hear about on Outback with Jack? So it will be completely driven by you, the community. Uh, it'll probably roll sometime about 9.30 in the morning. But remember... TSPCLive.com. You're either going to see the next upcoming live stream there or the one we just did. If you see the one we just did, give it a break. Come back a little while later, and you can always find the newest live stream there. Thank you guys so much. If you do subscribe on the podcast feeds like iTunes or whatever, leave me a review. It's an easy way to help me get more exposure. If you think I'm great, tell, tell everybody you think I'm great. If you think I suck, I don't know why you're still listening at the end, but you can tell everybody I suck. Just reviews are good. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. You pull yourself up, they keep bringing you down. Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around?
should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you'll never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. 